The Koi Gig Pod on Off The Ball. I don't like it. I want to be up there in Group A. I don't care who we get. We should be up there competing against them. But, you know, as you said, we're going to win that group and then get promoted, hopefully. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. Very good morning to you. Welcome along to Tuesday morning's OTBM with myself, Shane. We've got Colin Boomer. Good morning, Colin. Hello, Shane. Good morning, Adrian Barry. Good morning, Adrian. Shane, Colin, good morning to so you. So good, I said it twice. Yeah. How are things, lads? Good. Keeping well? Yeah, all good. Good. Um, come here to me. Tell, uh, I'll tell you this. I was playing my first six aside last night in weeks. My uh, big combat. Six aside? Yeah. Could not wait. Could, you and me both, Shane. Could not wait. Couldn't, of course, be five aside five, or seven aside. Could, well, I don't organise. Could not wait, right, on my way to the match. We started at eight. Yeah. As you know, if you were in Dublin last night, I don't know what it was like around the country. Ooh, the yeah. heavens opened mm. and then some. They did. Mm. Match was called off because the Astro was flooded. No way. That's how bad the rain was. The Astro was... We got there at five to eight and the announcement was you can't play. Astro's flooded. It happened Could pretty quickly, didn't it? it? it Went didn't on Instagram, was cheered up a little... By seeing Shane Hannon's incredible picture, oh yeah, of the lightning bolt uh, oh, really? by the Guinness, the Guinness factory, yeah, Guinness right. stories. I was w- waiting in my room. I was like, "This is too good." I love an old weather phenomena. Give us so a look was, there. We any? Don't know if we have a photo it's on your Insta feed. Is it certainly on the Instagram feed? It was. Um, oh, it's remarkable. Sure, look, they all follow Shane Hannon out there. Don't worry, everyone will see it. It's on the Twitter as well. If on you want to check Twitter, Twitter. Yeah. Uh, perfectly timed. Shane Hannon's oh, the Twitter is a better one. Yeah, yeah um, um, it's incredible. It's like a, a fake picture. Like it's, it, it looks is. so good. Yeah, it's fake. I've got a no. I've got a. I've got a confession to make. It's not yours. It is my photograph, but but it's not from that one. No, no, it, and it was yesterday while the th- thunderstorm was going on. <laughs> but everyone was like to me, "Shane, how did you get that photograph? You're an unbelievable photographer." Blah blah blah. And I'm like, "Well, it's actually very easy." And I do this often when there's a thunderstorm. It. You take the video, yeah, and then and you take a screen grab of the yeah. You, you pause the video, <laughs> you go along to the screen grab, you, sc- you you screenshot it, you make it look good, and that that's it. Um, oh, it's, it's real. Oh, it's real though. It's just yeah, a video. Yeah. It's just, but it's, it doesn't have um, much talent. The tax driver this morning couldn't get over how you managed to capture it. Did you see, now, now I've opened the kimono, as they say. It's Jersey. There's nobody else. anybody yeah, else. Spending too much time with Jersey. Um, who were these people that said to you it was an amazing photograph? You're, you should like get into photography. Full I had a few people that, that really? said that that's going to be in the papers. These people, and I was these like, people are ah, very close to you, obviously. David, you're an yeah. amazing singer songwriter. <laughs> that's right. People stop me in the street and they say, yeah. It was, no, no, it was just because it was hitting the Guinness storehouse, and I thought, oh, this is this is." Magic. It actually wasn't hitting the storehouse. No, it was. No, it was, it was probably somewhere beyond. Yeah. But like, I mean, visuals. Sorry, I mean, I, I, I mean, <laughs> I didn't get much sleep last night, but I've already sounded like a yeah, curmudgeon I didn't here. So. I didn't yeah. But um, can you credit that Astro game called off pitch flooded? Yeah, well, it, it fairly teamed down for about twenty I felt, minutes. I felt very sorry for the seven to eight crowd playing. They were like drowned rats coming off. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it, yeah, it came down big time over a sharp period of time. That's what you get. And also when the ground is wet, any, yeah. or sorry, the ground is really dry after a really warm day, it just sits on top and that's yeah. what you get. Great, 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 great thunder and lightning last night. Oh, it was fantastic. Great thunder. Well, there's, the photo. Oh, there's the photo. Look at it there. For anyone who, who, wow, wow, sideways wow. as well. You could have straightened it up. I, I, I was panicking. Do you know, I was like, this is going to miss my <laughs> chance here. Panicking. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how long the thunder and lightning was going to be there, but it, touched, it, it certainly uh, grounded it, itself. It was very places. impressive. Yeah. You can never, sometimes you can't tell if someone's bringing in the bins or if it's thunder. 
True. last night it was... Uh, or a, tr- or a, le- a heavy heavy truck going past. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Imagine in the olden times when there was none of these things and thunder happened. you think the world is about to end. You would. You know? Nearly name a god after thunder Stop. or something. Now, yeah. as Shifty Lads already pointed out in the comments, mm. there should be games every Monday afternoon. Ah. Oh. such a feel-good vibe. Now, the weather was nice yesterday yeah. afternoon before the thunderstorm, but then you read at three o'clock, Fulham Leicester wasn't on TV. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Diego had it. Diego had it. Yeah. <laughs> what a game. 12 euro. 5 3. Crazy. What lads, what games? Yeah. Three games, 21 goals. Have a coronation every weekend. Mm. 100%. I think the record was 16 goals for a Premier League game week that had three matches. So like, they absolutely demolished that. Six, seven, and eight goals scored between the three games. Ridiculous. Yeah. And also, like, that they weren't sort of dead rubbers that everybody was kind of just patting along. Like, there, was, there was something for everybody and. You know, and then each one of them would win, like everything would win, and you would, they must have been thinking, "Oh, this is, we've got a march and everything. Oh, this is yeah. great!" And then the other teams around them would win. But a good, good uh, couple of days for themselves in West Ham. Jesus, yeah. If if Everton stay up now, they're going to look back at th- that performance, not just the result, the result but the I performance. Think that, I think they're going to stay up. Yeah, I, so think, I think that will be the game that that they look back on, being mm-hmm. that was the start of their survival. It's hard to see what points do you think is going to what? What's the they have, I think their last two games are fine. They were Manchester City at home next. So okay, don't expect anything Gone. from that. Yeah, uh, Wolves away. Wolves on the proverbial mm-hmm. beach yeah. and Bournemouth at home also joining Wolves on the beach yeah, yeah. for a yeah. great, right, great day out that would be yeah, Bobby Dwyer pointing out it was up there with the Stevens Day 1963 results that they remember match the day wheel out every now, uh, every now and again and Evan Ferguson back in the bench he got 45 minutes for yeah. Brighton last night that was every I don't know if you're probably the same but every Brighton game I'm just oh, yeah. I'm looking, oh, at, looking at yeah, live score What's the story? Is he? Yeah, excellent. Well, uh, Undav, their third choice striker, started. And yeah, Ferguson came on, and uh, it probably does. Yeah, probably gets lost in the whole thing that he nearly scored. Yeah. Uh, beautiful a couple move. Of them. Uh, dropped the shoulder just at the edge of the box. The one where his left foot at the edge of the box, and Jordan Pickford tipped it onto Great the crossbar. Safe. Yeah, that was a three 0 down. And then um, McAllister hit the bar as well before Everton scored their fourth goal. Dwight McNeil. He's always had this in him, hasn't he? He's yeah. just no confidence. But those two goals, the way he took them, rounding the keeper Astro style, and then the last goal of the game, his second, Ryan Oof. Giggs against Arsenal-esque. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely smashed into well, the roof. Well. Something beautiful too when, the, when it's lashing rain mm. and the nets are soaking and he hit the ball so hard that the water oh, splashed off the net. That, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. And also, to be very niche about it, uh, the way that Harvey Barnes' first goal against Fulham went in, Hits the crossbar, hits oh, yeah. the line, goes up the roof, and that comes back out. That yeah. sound, it's enjoyable. That the crack, yeah, 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 yeah. I love that. Like the thunder, love you that. Just love a bit of noise. Great sounds this morning. Yeah, it was good. So Fulham three 0 up at half time, and you're thinking, right, this is game over. But Leicester, I mean, Leicester showed a bit of fight to come Darr. back into it, but it was never really kind of kind of that. Yeah, a bit yeah, like the um, Southampton game last night that they could have gone. Was it five two up? They could have gone at one point, and then yeah. uh, the goal got disallowed, and um, and suddenly it nearly nearly ended up in the draw at the end. The goalkeeper comes up and. Um, it's you know, but I think in reality it was not the as right as they looked. Um, I was looking at it, and um, you know, you're thinking. Obviously, you're looking at the goals that are going in. Mm. Um, great decision to drop Gavin Bazuna here, and uh, I just thought, I wonder, you know, like, look, I don't know, what do you've got to some of those? We'd like might, to think he, he might have, certainly over the first couple of them. I was thinking maybe he he might have done. I just never know. Some of them are so close in as well when the shots come in that like it really you are in the lap of the gods to try and get the power to it. He does have a bit of um, history in saving penalties against um, superstars. True. But I thought, well, look, my opinion doesn't really sort of matter overly, as you'd say, Colm, in the grand scheme of things. I would let let me you. take to the internet and find out what people are saying about him. So I did a bit of a about everything. quick um, Twitter search just to see what was going on and I just came across because I wanted to get a sense, was this the right thing to drop him or not? So Southampton Page was saying, I'm glad we've dropped Bazunu in a sarcastic way. We've just conceded even more. 
Um, and then I scrolled on. Uh, we had Joe the American. Come on, Alex, my keeper, Alex McCarthy, got in in his place. Closely followed up by Bazunu would have saved that, you clown. Oh. There was an awful lot of personal abuse of McCarthy here, so I, I deliberately sort of steered, steered clear of that. Le Sacre Roma. Uh, basically, I did a Google Translate on this, and that um, also translates to uh, McCarthy, you clown. I was going to read um, it in French, so I didn't bother for you. Then we'd, uh, it was pra- in praise of Bazunu. Of course. Uh, ben James uh, Carragher was digging Bazunu out a little too. I actually thought that he was a solid young keeper, obviously going to concede with Southampton. Uh, not a great defence giving up 20 shots a game um, <laughs> is what's happening there yeah. uh, Sam says still can't believe that Sellers has dropped Bazunu and we've actually leaked more goals for those who wanted Maca back hate to say I told you so so I couldn't really get a proper sense from all of those like I know a lot of them are sort of saying mm. bring Bazunu back in was it the right thing but I couldn't fully still make up my mind so I did what you of course do to try and any good investing of journalists exactly I went to chat GBT yeah. <laughs> um, which gave me the lowdown. So I just basically asked it, you know, um, was it the right thing that Gavin Bazunu um, has been dropped here and, you know, should they get him back into the mixer? Right. And ChatGBT, um, should he leave Southampton this summer was actually the question. That was the question. That I actually, in fact, asked and now that I read it in front of me here. Um, so AI obviously sort of uh, dissociated itself slightly from the uh, question and then said, however, there are several factors that Bazunu and his representatives may want to consider when making such a decision, including his playing time, his potential for growth and development and the level of competition that he will face at Southampton. If Bazunu is not getting regular playing time at Southampton, he may want to consider a move to another club where he would have more opportunities to showcase his talents and further his career. On the other hand, if he's valued by the Southampton coaching staff, and who knows who the hell they're going to be, mm-hmm. um, that he'll be seen as an important part of the team's future and he may choose to uh, stay and continue working with the club. Right. Which so I thought was pretty conclusive. Conclusive, yeah. ChatGPT turns out is a good, has a good mm. brain for football, maybe. Uh, so they've I, danced I, around honest, the answer. I'm still, I'm still sort of none the wiser. Um, would he be better off in the championship next season and like rebuilding his confidence over the course of a career like he's taken literally taken an absolute hammering over the last season in every regard and it's a bit of a um, thankless task so I don't know would he be better I, I, off in I, the championship yeah it's a good question I envision him playing there next season like the championship we, oh, I think so like he's so young lads and you know even younger for a goalkeeper because they traditionally play longer than outfielders yeah so he's, su- he's such a long way to go my worry about him is if Southampton don't get promoted next season and he plays and say they finish mid-table or lower half of the table, doesn't have a particularly good season, then a Premier League mm. club might not want him as much trouble. anymore. And yeah. then suddenly he's a, a recognised championship player rather than a promising Premier League goalkeeper. See, it's like I, I'd love Cuevin Keller to be playing in the Championship next season because it means he's left Liverpool, he's getting regular game time, etc. Et Why does he play the Championship, Cuevin uh, Keller? Well, there's chat about him going to Brentford. Could, yeah, could he not have yeah. a Premier League call? That Brentford would be a great move. I, I think with Bazunu, you want to be a brave club in the Premier League now... To, to take him on. To take him on. He's just even the optics of it. Like He, ha- he had a lot of good uh, games initially for Southampton. That's why that's why Axe McCarthy remained on the bench for most of the season. Like He was good for a while. He yeah. just, he's, he's, a very good, he's a very good goalkeeper. It's yeah. that, that will come back. It's just, I mean, when you're taking that kind of a hammering from a defensive point of view, there are shambles looking at them last night oh, yeah. defensively. Absolute joke. They are, but in fairness, three of the four goals, I mean, the one was a penalty and the other three um, from open play were brilliant. Like They were yeah. exceptionally good team moves by Forrest. Great finishes as well. Oh my God, Morgan Gibbs-White's... Um, Class. Assist on yeah. oh, the subtle flick touch <laughs> for Danilo to finish, who's really coming to form at a crucial stage. He'll be one of their cult heroes, like Carlos Tevez, West Ham style. Oh, yeah. If Forrest stay up, Danilo's scoring loads lately. Uh, but Gibbs White as well, like they invested huge amounts of money in Gibbs White from Wolves mm. uh, last summer. He was a late signing and he didn't start the best. Remember, they were at home to Tottenham and he was kind of marked out of the game and a bit peripheral. 
and I remember when he burst through the scene at Wolves I was thinking geez, this guy is seriously good and he went to be quiet for a few years I think he had a loan spell was it Sheffield United certainly in the championship Yeah. but Forrest really really hedged their bets on him and it's paying off because now he's becoming increasingly influential mm. I hope Forrest stay up I really, really enjoy yep. Nottingham Forest. Yeah, I love the city ground. As I said, I love their jersey, love their crest. Nostalgia reasons you want them to stay up, is it? Yeah, I just like saying Nottingham Forest. You just like saying Nottingham yeah. Forest? As much as I dislike saying Sheffield United because you have to say their full name. Well, mm. Do you know what I mean? I see you. Yeah. True, yeah. yeah. You can't see United. They're up Sheffield. now, so there's nothing we can do about it. It's true. Uh, we should say after that, fir- that first match, Fulham 5, Leicester 3, there was a post-match interview with the always honest James Madison. Um, we were not hungry enough to want to win the game. Now, we did clarify what he meant, or rather, how it was perceived um, thereafter on Twitter. So I think we might have the, the screenshots from the tweets that he put up. Oh, but we he, don't, but I have We don't, there. but we have yeah. them there. So what is wrong with social media? Say one thing in an interview straight after a game, and it gets taken away out of context. When I say not hungry enough, I mean aggressive and on the front foot in duels, not us wanting to win or realising the importance. I followed that up. We were not good enough today, and we've only got ourselves to blame and apologise for that. But as someone who sees the work we are doing every single day to try and put this right, it's not down to attitude or application. We will keep going until the very end. So, James Madison and the Leicester players keen to point out that they are trying their very utmost to stay up. Will that be enough? I don't really know. But certainly the choice of words, the lack of hunger, was was one that... Yeah, you look at the table this morning. So, Southampton are goners, really. Yeah. uh, 24 points. So, they're six points off 19th, let alone um, safety, which they are eight points off. Then you have Leeds and Leicester... 19th and 18th respectively both on 30 points Le- uh, Leeds have a far inferior goal difference and then Everton are lingering outside the relegation zone on 32 points mm. so what a win yesterday 5-1 away to Brighton that's only their second away win all season Everton Crazy. their last one was in October so first after that winning 8 altogether after that first match so four teams sat within a point of each other by 5 o'clock and then you've got the Brighton the Everton game kicking off and you're thinking so we were talking yesterday we were like we're gonna, we were going to book an Everton guest yeah. for the show yeah. today because we're like yeah. they're going to be gone mm. Brighton are going to beat them yeah. and it's going to be essentially Everton in serious serious doo-doo like. and uh, the performance last night was just ridiculous well even if you look at the fixtures to come I so there's four te- basically West Ham are safe and there's four teams there that are in the mix for to join Southampton yeah. in relegation that's what we're talking about and I don't fancy Nottingham Forest fixtures no Chelsea Arsenal a resurgence in Chelsea. I'm not, I'm not saying they could be gone. The, 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 the win yesterday means that they will be in the mix come the final day, no matter what happens, when they have Crystal Palace, you would think, which may not be the case for a Leicester, for example, mm. who have Liverpool and Newcastle have come, and they could be gone by the time they play West Ham. So, like, Everton of City, so that's, you know, like a game gone, and then Wolves and Bournemouth, and Southampton, yeah, Southampton are gone. There's no, no need to even discuss them. Um, Forrest having Chelsea and Arsenal in their next two games. Yeah. Interesting. Tricky. Is Everton Man City a... Uh, uh, Probably. Is there yeah. any point talking about it? I, I, uh, I almost well, feel like Deitch now is the man to uh, open this title race wide open. Does Everton need the points? I remember they had a massive win against Man City years ago under Ronald Koeman at Goodison. And I always go back to that game thinking, oh, City struggle at Everton, but yeah. they actually don't. Is that Goodison, that game? Yeah. Well, that, that could uh, be interesting. Uh, I don't, they're not great. The City they're, game. Yeah. I mean, look at they've it. not been great at home. Everton. Oh, it's true. They seem to uh, enjoy mm. the release valve of playing away. Mm. The pressure in Goodison is phenomenal. Like the, among yeah. the fans, and they get real um, angry quickly when it goes wrong. Like I watched the Newcastle game recently when Newcastle obliterated them. They never they, like, they either uh, either turn or leave in their droves. Mm. They don't want to be a, a struggling player. Playing Speak with home. their feet. I enjoyed Martin O'Neill on Monday Night Football last night. Mm. Yeah, I, I, good insight. 
Um, he's he's very different. Like I felt sort of about the Graham Suness departure that there's room for a Suness, a Keane, a Martin O'Neill is sort of in the same territory. Mm. You know, you leave the deep analysis stuff to he was on with character last night. You can leave all the minutiae of the breaking the thing down yeah. to him. Um, but he was good, yeah. Like there was uh, the in-game stuff was was so so, and he will talk a little bit. He'll obviously talk about the stuff that it would be in his strengths, you know, mm. um, which wouldn't be that level of breakdown. You know, certainly wasn't offering it. Um, last night but always value and like you know I just felt there was even that maybe they did 15 minutes at the end about his you know the typical Monday night oh, yeah. chat this but it was only life. about 15 minutes last night which definitely that could have been I was firstly surprised that it hadn't happened before now mm. um, yeah. but they obviously got into the Brian Clough stuff given the night that was in it talked about him but, um, he said you know Dave Jones was offering to him that Brian Clough was a great sort of man manager a brilliant technician, a tactician, is what uh, Martin O'Neill said. In some ways, I felt as if he was also answering the question about himself. <laughs> real similarities there. Yeah. Um, the he says he got a bad rep, uh, didn't turn up at a training at all, but was a genius coach in-game. This Clough? Yeah, Clough. That's what Martin O'Neill said about Clough. Um, and he said he, he himself was inspired by Peter Taylor, not Clough, uh, to become a manager. That He met him in a shop. Uh, O'Neill was running around the shop trying to avoid him. This was after he uh, they they had parted. They were they were no longer working together. Yeah, uh, trying to avoid him because they never really get on that well. Taylor spots him, shouts at him, calls him over, and says, "Oh, you! I always thought you'd make a great manager. Why are you not in management?" And that was it. He thought, "Oh, Jesus! Well. What a nice little meeting!" Oh. And then and then there was a lovely thing right at the end of it where Jamie Carragher says he's clearly building up to pay Martin O'Neill a compliment and says, "You were slash are a great manager." And a smile creeps somewhere, across on his face, yeah, and no, it was that, a lovely, it's a lovely, lovely little moment. I always feel like there's a, there's a knowledge, and this was kind of brought up in the roadshow, our own roadshow last week. There's a knowledge on Sky that they're saying something that's going to be clipped. I almost feel like they 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 have their answers, especially Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville. They know how to, how short to keep their answers for social media. It's like it's almost like they say they say something, they like look at the camera, and like there you go, <laughs> take go that on, one, clip that quick, yeah, throw anyway, it, tag me, good. tag me. It was good. He said. He said. He said. He misses the game. Misses the game desperately. He says at the end, and quite clearly wants back in. You could call it a hashtag. Come and get me, please. Maybe. Yeah, I think I'm most of those Monday night footballs can be. But I, I thought he'd um, walk off he into the done. sunset. Yeah, I suppose he is. He feels like he's unfinished business because since the Aston Villa job, it hasn't really been great for him. Mm. Um, I like he great spells at Ireland. He also looks very well for his age, doesn't he? Yeah, very well. Yeah. Well. Um, I was yeah, I was interested. I thought the Brian Clough stuff was most interesting. Mm. Obviously, we were talking pre-show, like God, did they get into the Ireland stuff at all? But of course, there'd be no interest in Sky from that point of view. But you yeah. kind of want that little bit because you feel that away from the Irish media, he'd probably open up a bit more. Yeah. He's always very defensive with us. He is. Um, but I think him talking about Clough is the most interesting element, and him calling Clough by far the most charismatic manager mm. he's ever ever seen in British football I always enjoy him on ITV during the World Cup I think he's a good comments. I think he's a good pundit yeah. there is a, there's always room for that yeah a bit of crack out of him yeah. Yeah. yeah it's not it's not the like you know and the other thing that you sort of forget about is that he's obviously still loves football probably mm. the same way as ourselves and that he's watching a lot of games yeah. like when I'm at home I don't have the sort of touch screen out and analysing every little detail whereas the you know Carragher and Neville are doing that day in day out every single day of the week yeah so it's difficult to get up to that level yeah um, Muller boy here is an Everton fan right. and he's predicting a two-all draw Goodison tonight or sorry next time against Man City mm. equally could be 22-2 and as our own Kathleen has uh, said to us here that I forgot about this Everton drew one all with Man City at Yeti had earlier on the season Kathleen's oh. dad is an Everton fan reminder of it last night 
So it feels like one of those games that, that Everton could get something out of. Just, no, based I, on the I just, last night, I just can't see it. I just can't, can't see it. It's just because uh, City have the title to go for, so they're highly motivated. Yeah. Um, and also, they are the sort of team that, like, even though they've just been squeak, this, uh, squeaked past Leeds the other day, like, it, City are the type of team that feel, even if they're beating a team 2-1 or 1-0, that they'll just beat you by what they need to beat you by. They've got um, the Real Madrid games either side of that Everton game. This is you giving more hope to Everton fans. Yeah, nah. they've, they've got to concentrate in the Champions League as well. I they know can, they want to win the treble, of course. They can. City can also afford to switch in and out four or five players and yeah. still win comfortably. I don't yeah. like. I I've been tempted to be fooled by the two one. I'll see what. Well, let's see what happens against Everton. I'm not sure. Yeah, two one such a predicted scoreline, isn't it? If it's an upset. Oh yeah. For two one upset. Or well, a two one defeat for Leeds was an upset. <laughs> to me, um, really? Oh yeah, yeah, well it was a two-one hammering. Mm. Oh yeah, two like one seconds earlier they had a penalty which uh, Haaland donated to Ilkay Gundogan to score his first ever city, senior hat trick, mm. and uh, Guardiola castigated him. There's after. no room for sentiment in professional sport. Mm. No room no, for sentiment. If Haaland wasn't so selfless, take it, Haaland. If he wasn't so selfless, he'd break the all-time scoring record for yeah. a given season. Probably still do that. Great fella. We've got a couple. Of, there's a theme in the comments as well. Jim Sullivan says, "Would United take a punt on Bazunu? Cheap option, perhaps." Uh, Brian says Bazunu is miles off United level right now I don't know about that Shifty Lad agreeing with the, the original comment Kelleher from Man United I don't know Well Bazunu um, could certainly play ball from the back that the way that David De Gea can't but yeah. De Gea is a better goalkeeper than Bazunu at the moment Yeah for like, sure. definitely all round And he's still only 32 De Gea as well so he's not yeah. exactly beyond it just now, yet Now if United signed Bazunu this summer delighted Oh, he doesn't it. have to start straight away he could play a few games here and there play a few domestic cup games he's so young lads remember so if he's playing enough yeah. plays about 10 to 15 games next season and then the following season De Gea moves out a bit then maybe with Chanson well, the word is Jack Butlin is going to leave United this summer um, as the number two so there could be room there for a younger number two to come in mm. get your year or maybe, two under yeah. De Gea and then maybe he needs somewhere off Broadway Bazunu I think yeah. to rebuild his confidence a little bit like that's that yeah. that will be uh, that'll be a tough that'll have been a tough season for him. Totally, but like he's so young, he's such a long career ahead. He's going to have spells where he's not confident, yeah. where he's not playing well. So I hope there's no panic around them and he's discarded. Oh, no. yeah. You know that, that's what I hope. Or more to the point, I hope clubs don't discard him. I think he'd be looked after only. There was some you chat in know. my little uh, research last night, let's call it, um, where there was somebody saying, you know, who, where will these sweeter players who are involved in some of the teams that are towards the bottom end of the Premier League, if they get relegated, where would some of these players go? And he happened to be one of them that was mentioned. Right. And there was some people responding saying that he should go to Chelsea. Bazunu? Yeah. So, I mean, I wouldn't say... He may not be discarded, but... Yeah, um, Kepa and Mendy aren't... Uh, I wouldn't want him walking into that dress. I think Mendy's a fine goalkeeper, though, just, again, like Bazuno yeah. out of form. That's a mess of a club yeah. at the minute. Uh, championship final day yesterday was some crack. Millwall 3-1 up. <laughs> Lewis. Yeah. Our own, our own Roy Darmus Blackburn just oh. missed out in the playoffs. I was thinking of him when I saw the final table. I was like, yeah. oh, that's, that must be disappointing to finish seventh in the championship. Uh, but uh, Jonathan Wilson, a semi-regular on the show, is a huge Sunderland fan. And he said, what are we doing in the playoffs? We're not ready. We're only little boys. We're going to get destroyed in the Premier League. So it's third against sixth, isn't it? And fourth against yeah. fifth. Yeah. So we, yeah. we'll have in the playoffs. So Burnley and Sheffield United, of course, automatically promoted to the Premier League. Luton Town in third will play Sunderland over two legs in the playoff semi-finals. And Middlesbrough will play Coventry. It's a real old school kind of yeah. feel to the playoffs, especially. I, Ravenelli. Ravenelli, sure. Mm, I would love Coventry to come up. Now, that crest brings me back to the 90s and Premier League stickers. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Do you remember a shiny? Remember if you got a shiny in a pack? Oh, it was, just, you, do you know what I mean by this? Yeah, I do, yeah, the shiny cards. Shinies yeah, are yeah, 10 a penny now. Oh, shinies were huge. And the Coventry crest and the shiny. If Does anyone has the Coventry crest and the shiny, can you send a picture in to us? Kev Cavan, I would display that happily. Finished his career at Coventry, Kev. And he played for Sunderland. I forget about that, yeah. He's got a couple of. 
Every game is a Kevin Kilban derby, is what you're saying. Essentially, I would also like to see Luton up. They seem to regularly make the playoffs. Mm. Well, Row just looks massively like. overachieving. <laughs> and Rory makes the point to Roy Army here in the comments. Luton, nice and handy name, easy to say. Yeah, you'd have to say Luton Town. Have you right. ever flown into Luton? <laughs> uh, no, but I know people who have. Luton, I'll tell you, is is one of those. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Luton is an easy is an easy name to say. This is what was just happening in the studio here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I know people who've flown into Luton. So, that was my. That was to be fair. Luton. Uh, my point was Luton is one of the um, bleakest places I've been to in quite some time. You're always having a go at uh, places in England. Wolverhampton was the last yeah. one. Apologies to anyone from Wolverhampton. Uh, I think it was just the place I stayed. You know, you're, you sometimes you stay in a bleak little. Did you fly uh, in in wintertime, like? No, it was actually a couple of months ago. Ah, I suppose that was winter time. <laughs> <laughs> I think. What is there some way? One more. Yeah, my time is this last couple of minutes has not been not been our highest. Not our point. finest. Put it, no. put it into the Emeralds. <laughs> um, here's a here's a stat that shocked me. <laughs> right, go on. Glenn Whelan has 91 caps for the Republic of Ireland. But I, I, and that, I also thought that that he was still playing ball. That's a stat, though, that, everyone, that I felt like I feel like everyone knows. Oh, I would have heard it. I, I, I would have heard it, but it's just um, it's shocking to me. That he played that many games, but then I look back and Sir Giovanni Trapattoni loved him. Mm. He played every minute, every game of yeah. Euro 2012. He played two of the first three games of Euro 2016. Yeah, central yeah. to a lot of Ireland's um, great moments. Actually, he's highly thought of by teammates. I, he, I think he was much maligned unfairly by Irish fans. He was often the scapegoat for mm. the lack of creativity. But he always like he was always steady out, and actually steady is a, almost a bit of an insult as well. That word, like it's a good player. Like he was good. I yeah. think I put him in the category of good. Good player. Solid player. Uh, you, you, yeah, I, put him, never, I put him above solid. Uh, he's, he's a 91 capped international. Well, you're never going to say he was a great player. So let's just accept yeah. that. But and you could say he was a great servant to Brilliant, Ireland. brilliant, yeah. brilliant. 91 servant. capped. I wasn't so surprised. Like a, that's like a little, uh, well, you're a great servant. You're not a great player. You're a great There's servant. No, to better, the, uh, no better cause to serve your country, I well, imagine. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Now, you might not be patriotic, like, but if you are, that could be one. I tell you who's now... Patriotic is uh, Declan Rice because someone's commented into the, the comments. Uh, Brian says Everton need to play the national anthem before the game again Sunday to give Dyche a superpower. Mm. There's a patriotic You'd be up for man. that, yeah. Well, if, absolutely. If whatever floats Everton's boat, whatever floats Dyche's boat, Declan Rice was absolutely blaring out "God Save the King" before the, the West Ham United game. Why wouldn't he? Fair play to him, and, and tell you what, he was man of the match as well. So it obviously inspired you know. something in, instilled something in him. This uh, idea of a monarchy. Uh, just got into his bloodstream. So fair play to him. Um, Why wouldn't he? Yeah, sure, let him at it. I, I know the Liverpool. Uh, we haven't really spoken about that. The, the reaction to God Save the King in, in Anfield at the weekend was mm-hmm. was uh, Predict- awkward. It was predictable, predictable but awkward. Yeah. yeah. Um, good point here as well by Shane in the comments that Sweden should have got a testimonial for Ireland. His rocket against uh, Buffon at Croke Park. Oh, and Mike probably sums him up. But he's a great professional. Did he ever really officially retire from Ireland though? I don't, don't think, think so. so. I think he so always can't really um, be given when he was with Hearts. I remember he was the same as Paul McShane. Sort of he said, "I'm never gonna." But I didn't read it. Like, I forgot that he was at uh, Bristol Rovers for so long. Thirty-nine years old to finish up. He's going to be a if coach. He said, as well "No, he was forty-two, forty-three. I would have said, "Yeah, that. believe you. Fair enough. Yeah. He's going to be a first-team coach there." Somebody so. says here, uh, Michael, he was a great professional. I think that definitely is uh, an insult. Did you just say that? Sorry, yeah, I thought I'd switched over that. No, no, not an insult at all. That basically sums him up. I think that's it. Like, I think that's there's no. Sideswiping that at all, like I think no. that, yeah, applied himself well, incredible, and like you said about obviously teammates and stuff like that, like um, it's not an insult to say that he made the most out of everything he had. Like yeah. the people sometimes tend to read an awful lot into that, but I think that squeezed it all out. Yeah, ninety-one caps. Oof. Fair play to him. Congrats to to Glenn Whelan on a, an extraordinary career. I, w- I would call it certainly from an international perspective. Ninety-one caps is uh, is quite an achievement, and certainly some good memories in an Irish jersey there. Um, 
Ferguson, Alex Ferguson. Yeah, ten years ago this week, he announced he's retiring from football. I, 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 this surprises me the most because I can't believe it's ten years. Although the other part of me is like, well, actually, it does feel like ten years. Mm. BBC Sport did a very good piece yesterday, the behind the scenes leading up to his announcement. And how a few people knew because they had to know. So he decided in December 2012 he was stepping away. Mm. So in the October, his wife's sister passed away. Yeah. And he took that as a sign, okay, need to spend more time with Cathy. And he had to let the club know by March that he wasn't renewing his contract or wasn't staying beyond that season. That was a, an existing deal. So they met David Gill, but little did he know that David Gill was about to tell him, oh, I'm leaving. So they were surprising each other. Yeah. And trying to keep it under wraps was the big thing. And actually, the news broke 24 hours uh, earlier than he wanted. So he was livid at that. The The word got out. Uh, the players kind of were laughing and joking with him. But the staff were taking it very seriously because they were so unsure of their futures. But what's really, I think what really resonates in the piece is just how much of a mess it was almost from day one when Fergie left. The because handover. there was no... Well, the handover is exactly it. So he thought he was leaving uh, the club in great shape. But they had no planning meeting that summer about what to do next. Yeah. And they didn't appoint uh, David Moyes officially until the 1st of July. So they didn't buy him out of his everything contract. Mm. So by the time he started, he was well behind. Well, so your already. job now is to get behind your new manager. Was that not known that it was Moyes at that time? Oh, yeah. That, it was all re- revealed then. So that game, that was the last home game uh, against Swansea. Uh, but the announcement came before that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it was leading up. So the yeah, game, yeah. the the announcement was the Wednesday. So yeah. they could have been planning away as well. Yeah, and they they had an emergency. Sorry, they they convened after the last game, the five all draw away to West Brom, mm. but they never had a meeting after that again. So they were behind. But it just goes to like it was just the start of a decade of madness at the club. Like, isn't there a website that does the here's what happened in this day in sport? Oh yes, like the. Like, the website. <laughs> basically, this is column every day of the week. Like, here's something else that happened seven years ago. Yeah, today. No, it's a good, it's a good one. Seven though. years ago today, yeah. Yeah, I, I was. <laughs> I was in Old Trafford for uh, Ferguson's twenty fifth anniversary game against Sunderland. One 0 win for United. Wes Brown scored an own goal for Sunderland, um, and that was the day that the Sir Alex Ferguson stand, Alex Ferguson stand as I call it, were, were, was named for him, and he was completely surprised, and like literally was brought on onto the pitch. I think by David Gill and turned around there, and they had obviously kept this secret from him, and uh, it was a nice little revelation for Alex Ferguson. But yeah. It seems wasn't there a David Moyes interview done recently where he was like I was just called and told yeah it was the, United, he did the no diary of the CEO yeah that, that the was one? it that yeah. was the one yeah very good and he said he said he was out shopping with his wife in Manchester maybe or somewhere yeah and uh, he gets a call where are you I'm uh, shopping right come round to my house to be ready come round and ha- come round in an hour and then he's like uh, he's sort of saying to the wife oh I'm after getting called around to Alec Ferguson's house you can't say no I don't that. know I don't know what uh, I don't know what he, what he wants like yeah. so you'd actually no idea what the hell he was going out there for D- certainly did not expect clearly that he was going to be uh, coronated here's the, here's the keys to Old Trafford coronated well it's topical <laughs> anyway that's what I mean <laughs> yeah. we don't Let's know now it. we'll never know yeah, Wilmslow Wilmslow in Cheshire that's where Alex Ferguson lives uh, I'm reliably informed um, any other messages coming in yeah the Orbis football collection best club sticker album of all time like when we talk sticker albums I have one I think somewhere in the studio but used to collect it. you know the keep swap keep swap you'd be on the school oh yeah school run Bob Dwyer Bob Dwyer you get three normals for a, a shiny three normals for a shiny yeah yeah see for I, I'd say for, from a parent's perspective it's an expensive hobby oh yeah it was, yeah. well it's a good um, carrot to get oh, stuff done oh yeah 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 yeah. Get clean your room there and here's two packets stuff done exactly yeah, yeah. <sighs> they come now, in a box now, but they're, they're you know the way they were simple you said there was a shiny there was normal ones and that was sort of it now there's like hat trick heroes oh. um 3D ones 
There's like um, ones that speak to you. Upcoming. There's like you know all these hundred club. The world's moving too fast for us, lads. Yeah, I'll tell you. Eight oh one a.m. Will we tell everyone what's coming up in the show? The rest of the show. We might as well. Uh, between now and 10 o'clock, myself and Adrian. Tommy Welsh is standing by. Very shortly, we're going to chat Go. We're also going to chat the, the weekend's Hurling Cork tip. Of course, uh, a cracking game for those who got to see it. 20 past 8, we'll be joined by the Sligo Senior Football Manager, Tony McEntee, off the back of the uh, disappointment in the Connacht f- uh, final of the weekend against Goa. But of course, they have the All-Ireland Round Robin series coming up. So we'll chat to Tony shortly. 8.45am, we'll chat to Cameron Hill, who was at the AIL uh, club final at the weekend as well. Jasmine Baba will be talking Jude Bellingham with us from uh, 8.50 or so and Tom English will join us at 10 past 9 to reflect on Celtic winning the Scottish Premiership title of the weekend with their 2-0 win over Hearts and then we'll have highlights of Malachy Clerken's chat uh, with Joe on last night's show from half past 9 that was also on GA Go Cullum, thanks a million thanks for, for having me popping in as per usual uh, you are the producer so you don't have to come too far to be fair I'm looking forward to hearing this guy's thoughts on GA Go yeah here we go We'll save it for Tommy now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ready to go. Uh, I should mention at 8.02am on OTBM, Braeburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of OTB. Braeburn Coffee is coming to an Apple Green near you. New Braeburn locations are popping up every month, so visit applegreenstores.com forward slash Braeburn to find your nearest Braeburn Coffee experience. After the ads, we'll have, as I said, Tommy Welch. OTB AM. The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball. All right, approaching five past eight on this Tuesday morning's OTBM with myself and Adrian. Time to turn our attention to matters hurling. And like I say, the Kilkenny legend Tommy Welsh joins us on the show this morning. Morning, Tommy. How are things? Yeah, good morning, Shane. Good morning, Adrian. Hi, Tommy. Are you keeping? Uh, plenty to, to get stuck into, Tommy, as it turns out, for, for those who saw the action of the weekend. Some cracking uh, games and plenty more to look forward to. There's only one game of note, of course, in the senior championship um, to look forward to this weekend. But uh, I guess the story, Tommy, that's dominating the... The back pages in the last couple of days is the GEA Go. We have the back page of uh, Irish Daily Mail. GEA Go say no. So Noel Quinn, the uh, the, the chief of GEA Go, um, defending the uh, the service after the strong comments, I guess you'd say, from Donal Cusack on the, the Sunday game at the weekend. He uh, accused RTE and the GEA of exploiting hurling, saying the game needs oxygen. What, what do you make of this whole this whole issue, Tommy? I guess it's all about visibility of the sport. Yeah, Shane, it's, I think it's a very sensitive uh, conversation, very sensitive issue. Why? Because, you know, you have the elderly involved people that probably, you know, were involved in the GA since they're 9, 10 years of age. Now they're 70 years of age, 80 years of age, 90 years of age. Give their life to their probably clubs, some of them to their county board, some to their counties, their provinces. And, you know, their children are just probably upset and angry that they haven't easy access to the game, I suppose, they love. And possibly many of them retired at this stage and it's the one thing they probably look forward to most weeks is the, the hurling game or the GA game at the weekend. Um, on the other side, like if they look at the GA side of things, they have to try and keep everybody happy, Shane. Um, mm. Like I would imagine the top brass in the GA they got to where they got to from working hard in their clubs, from working hard probably in their county boards or their various jobs. They didn't just get there willy-nilly. They had to work hard with a, probably a huge passion for the game to get to, to where they get to. But they have to keep everybody happy. I remember in the Kilkenny, a, 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 a great, I suppose, committee member of Kilkenny County Board years ago, I remember my father was talking to him about fixtures and giving out about fixtures, uh, probably to their own fixtures probably at the time. And he was just saying to him, he said, listen, fixtures are grand and they're easy to do. 
until you're the one making them. <laughs> then you're clashing with communions, you're clashing with confirmations, weddings, you know, minor matches, under 21 matches. So, like, all these things are, are probably, it's when you get to the decision maker, then the challenges, I'd say, are enormous. And, like, you would have to say, like, I was listening to a lot of the commentary over the last weekend and the, uh, over the last few days, they all make sense. Mm. Like, Don Logan, Jackie, on Sunday night in the Sunday game, like, you know, Don Logan, we all know Don Logan, he's not afraid to say what's on his mind. But it comes from a good place. Like, he, he's hugely passionate about the game. He's usually passionate about growing the game. He's usually passionate about Klein and all things Cork and all things GA. You know, he, he was one of the main drivers of GPA back to the year. So when he says something, you know, he works hard at it and he means it. Jackie was there with him as well. We heard John Milan speaking, Tom Dempsey, Eddie Brennan. We heard a few lads last night uh, speaking. So, like, all these things are coming from a good place. Um, so I think it's all about not winning the, the war here, not the battle. So we could all probably argue different sides of it. It's probably how do we achieve it together, what we want to do, which is promoting the game. And um, like Shane, like you go back to 10 years ago, or was, is it five years ago before the the, the, the round robin? Mm. So was there, there was probably two before the COVID. So probably back to around 2016. In Munster, there was only three, say before the provincials, because I presume all the provincials will be on free to air. So before the provincials, there was only three games in Munster. There was a Munster semi two Munster semi finals, and a quarter final. In Leinster, you only had two quarter finals because I think two teams at the time would have got by. I think it was two quarter finals, two or three, would say, and two semi finals. So like that's three games plus four games. That's seven games. And I was looking at it the other day, like I think there's 18 games now mm. in the earlier provincials. So there's an increase of, what is it, 16 or 17 games. Like it's unbelievably increasing games. So the challenge is, how do you get them all on free to air? Um, like, and you know, like as you know, and, and probably the country knows, like I work for GA Go there for the first couple of games. Good people, like really passionate about doing a good job, really passionate about the GA. The analysts were good. Um, the lads behind the scenes the cameramen the producers Grania like all really trying to work hard to, to promote the game you know and, and work hard at, at the jobs they were given and like the big probably criticism is that the main games we're going to Diego the main Munster games which is the Limerick and Clare game but listening then to last night it was originally supposed to be on RT Free Tear only for the, the great Limerick run mm. and but there was other games on, on G and say the other one was the one the weekend at the Cork and, and Tipperary game. But like Diego did have other good games on, which was the Kilkenny Antrim last Sunday, uh, Wexford and Galway, Dublin and Wexford. So they weren't just cherry picking, you know, the, the, the big games. So I just see it from probably every side because, you know, I'm hugely involved myself yeah. with the, with, with, with the club. Uh, and I would always have been slow to criticize the, the, the I suppose the, the likes the committee members for the one reason is I see firsthand that say our own board in Oklahoma, which would be a small really set up as a compared to you know the bigger county board regouts or the GA itself and the enormous work they do. You'd only see after you finish playing what they do, like organizing games and pitches and so on and so forth. So I think that the challenge is like can say if there was no GA go Shane. Mm. Um, so if we cut out the GA go for, for for 
is it possible to put all these extra games on um you know on the the free to air or like how do you pay to, like how do you know beforehand that the Cork Tipperary game and the the Limerick and Clare well the Limerick Clare was supposed to be on the free to air it's just because of great Limerick run but say if you were to try and solve it for next year like how do you pick what games do you think like I would have thought there's a few like the Limerick and Waterford game that was on RT like the first game like you would imagine that was set up all week everyone was wondering about Davies tactics and Limerick were the All Ireland champions. Watford were in the Ireland semi-final in the Ireland final they had a bad year last year How they were league champions but then they had a bad cup two or three weeks really they didn't have a bad year probably a bad two weeks maybe and um, so everyone was intrigued about that game so yeah it's 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 a sensitive case I really think it's a sensitive case and uh, you know like it's a case everyone's nearly right like but I know and it's one of those things that there's so many strands to it and, and I think something that shouldn't get lost in it as well is that nobody's certainly nobody is criticising the GA Go platform like the work that yourself and the other pundits are doing and what Grania is doing it's actually it's a brilliant service the issue I guess for a lot of people is is the choice of games you look at the two provincial football finals the weekend they were per very per as in one sided now you could argue that oh well if Sligo or Clare had caused an upset then it would rationalise those games being shown on, on, on uh, regular TV. I have made no secret of the fact that I, th- I think that four hours given to the coronation of the King in Britain by our state broadcaster was a ridiculous decision. Um, so there's a, num- there's a number of reasons why this story has probably gained so much traction over, over the recent days. Like Don Logue's point, Tommy, on this being given over, the year being g- given over to rugby country. Like That was another thing. What do, what do you make of that idea that you know we're, we're a guess pitting sports against each other with, with comments like that but also you can see where Don Loke's coming from in that he wants hurling to get the oxygen as he said to, to breathe Yeah well I think in the same conversation he also said that he has huge respect for the rugby guys and hopes they win the World Cup and hopes they do really well and said it like it, say so you have all the GA games on suddenly you have the rugby you know contingent then there why are the GA getting so many games and it's, I think it's just a huge challenge the sheer number of games that's now uh, especially in the GA like we're gone from a knockout championship many many moves ago to to backdoor now to these round robin games like leave it alone what's going to happen in a couple of weeks when, when, when the Sam Maguire round robin games kick off like I'd say this conversation will go up tenfold because you know listening to the to the commentary there's going to be most of the big hurling games coming to the end of the probably the Munster and Leinster uh, round robin stage, the kind of knockout games nearly at that stage there will be uh, are going to be shown as opposed to the, the the football games in the Sam Maguire. So, you know, I just think there's huge challenges. We've only the two channels, uh, RT1, RT2, then you have TG Akar, Virgin Media. So I don't know what way the broadcasting rights or, or that work and spreading them out over, over the four. But yeah, listen, there's... there's Huge challenges, but you can, you know, you can understand in the rugby. Like, it's a World Cup with a team that people are hoping, you know, that maybe can get past that quarter final stage, maybe win a World Cup. Like, they've done so well in the Six Nations and that, like, so, you know, do we need a sports channel altogether? You know, Mm. so then you're probably definitely paying for, paying for, like, you know, like, you take Sky Sports over in in the UK. Like, I know that's reaching a worldwide, um, you know, viewership like, but they've what four oh one, four oh two up to about four twelve or thirteen and they've nearly a different sport on every on every channel and even at that they probably don't get to show all the games. So um 
it's just it's 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 impossible really. I, and Shane, you go the other argument is the split season, like it's too condensed, but like you go back to a few years ago when I was finishing up and kind of playing with the club, finish up county and playing with the club. So that time we had a match maybe in April and maybe possibly two matches, but then it depended on how Kilkenny uh, fared out in the in their in their own inter county championship when you played next. Like is there any sense of that? I don't think so. Like it's grand. Yeah, you see the games on television, but if you're a club player, do they say it's ninety seven or ninety eight percent of the the GA population or the Harlem population is playing club, and so they have to train like demons in January and February for and March for a game in April because it's a championship game, maybe two games, and then you're told, listen, that's he might be playing May, he might be playing June, he might be playing July. So, like the GA acted that time. I know COVID helped. And like the split season, depending on who you're talking to, I suppose, but I would imagine anyone that's involved in the clubs thoroughly enjoyed last year anyway. Mm-hmm. Not sure how it's going to go this year, but definitely last year. Like I know until Kenny finished up, we had a club campaign that was incredible. Like, you know, we had the county lads back for weeks upon weeks together as a group, as opposed to just coming back for the match. So, um, yeah, like I go back to my point about the, the, the challenge is it, it's when you go to make the decisions, then you see all the obstacles that are in your way. But I don't know, could you have a sports channel altogether? That's that's the, you're talking sense in my my language uh, language. I know, Tommy, I would be up for that. I think um, like there's so much in what we're discussing even here this morning, right? And like even the point about that Jay um, go we're making yesterday at the Limerick uh, Clare game wouldn't have been shown on TV. Regardless, like there's an awful lot that tends to get rolled in then to the one conversation. The one thing that I have a bit of an issue with, and Michal Martin was talking about it yesterday as well, saying that the whole thing needs to be reviewed. Personally, he doesn't like it. Uh, this idea of politicians talking about, oh, personally, it's like, personally, your opinion is the thing that drives uh, policy. And like, so it's actually very important as it turns out. But we've tended to talk about this as, you know, the big games getting, you know, uh, put behind a paywall, let's say, or whatever, whatever the case might be, um, you know, Tipperary Cork. So are we saying it's okay for the lesser games to be behind a paywall? So are we saying that, you know, it's not okay for people from older people, let's say, because it's been couched that way, and I don't know if I necessarily agree with that either, but older people from those two counties should just, you know, um, we'll make it free for you, but if you're an older person from Leash or Antrim, uh, when they're playing at the Hurley Championship, well, you just have to suck it up. That bit, there's, I have a bugbear about elitism in GEA, Tommy, and I think that that um, notion, either we agree that this service can exist and the games that are behind it are behind it, regardless of who's playing, uh, or or we just do away with it entirely. I don't agree with this thing about uh, the bigger games. Yeah, well, sure. You're never going to please everybody, um, Adrian. So, like, if you try and please everyone, probably nothing will happen. Mm. So, you probably have to go with something and just go with it. And but like, I still go back to the point where showing the bigger games, like, like you you don't really know what the bigger game is until after it's over. Like, if you went back to, now I didn't look at it before coming on air, but the, from just memory, kind of memory, the Tipperary Cork game last year was that not a disaster of a game? So like, if the sh- if they had to show on that last year, nobody be griping about it. I mean, you know, like it's only after a game is played that everyone knows how it's such an incredible game it was. But like, you know, like free on the free tier, the Kenny Galway game was in Nolan Park. Henry Shefflin coming back to his home county manager after all the, you know, the, the media attention I got last year. 
Galway and Kilkenny both all say semi finals or Kilkenny got to the All Ireland final, but ran Nimrod close. You would have expected that to be an incredible game, but it wasn't. Um, you know, um, so how do you predict what which games? The only way of probably putting all the good games on free to air is playing them all, really. Um, but say the Kilkenny Antrim game Sunday wouldn't have been, um, you know, that wouldn't have been a big game or probably huge viewerships, but it was available and it was nice. I I wasn't at because we had a communion the day before, but the, it was nice to watch it. It was, it was really good, you know, that we could see you didn't just miss out on it. And like if you go back to the club games during COVID, I'm not sure who the service providers were at the time, but I think you paid a fiver or that for, for a game or seven mm-hmm. euros. And um, it was a great service for people that couldn't go to the games. But like, so if we look at the, the challenge that comes next would be, so if we start playing the bigger games, right, you know the conversation that will come then is what you just said. Why is, you know, maybe the Joe McDonough for games, why are they not all on if we're trying to promote the game? So the challenge is just, where do you fit them in? And um, and you have to remember Adrian as well. Like there was games played at lunchtime last year. Was it the quarterfinals were playing at lunchtime last year on a Saturday? The GA people and the Hurling we we don't want that either. Mm. So really, the window is probably from a Saturday evening or Sunday from probably two o'clock till half four. So you don't even have seven days like you would have in other sports, like. Um, so the, the window is so, so small, but like you take it, it was kind of hurling only for the last while, really. Um, you imagine the challenge is going to come when the, when the Sam McGuire kicks off. And, um, oh yeah, you know when the when the, 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 the provincials like last Sunday. I know there were poor games, but is there a duty on do the do the GA feel there's a duty that provincials have to be on telly? You know, like that's the other challenge. Like say if if it had to be in Roscommon and Sligo in the Connacht final it probably would have been a huge occasion because you'd have two teams that would have been just, you know, would have, that would have been probably their All-Ireland. I know they might want to win the, the Sam Maguire as well, but probably uh, uh, Connacht would be huge for their, their supporters. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'd say that the, the Ulster football final, I'd say, will be incredible. That's, I think, Derry and Armagh, like, you know, so, to, like, do you kind of, or is it possible to, to wait until see who's in these matches <laughs> before picking what goes on tellies? You know, like I'm not sure what way the Premier League goes. You, you might be more clued in to it than I would be, but like, do so. Don't know if I presume was talking from this time. He's all about promoting the game, which is showing the best games and 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 uh, you know to promote the game. Now you know he's up for the, the the smaller counties too. But if you want to promote the game, you're showing the best players. Like in the Premier League, do they show the Liverpool's, Man City's, Arsenal, Manchester United? Are, are they showing far more than the? Say, I don't know, the Aston Villa. They are, yeah, they are, they are, and they're shown in the better slots, but they also at, at the same time have a commitment to show every club a certain amount of times. That's why you'll end up with some of the less desirable games in some of the key slots at certain times of the year. So there is like, um, I mean, I nearly described it as a sort of a half public mm. service remit somewhere in there. Yeah, and like they have a good few days to play around with too, like yeah. on a Monday night, a Tuesday night, if a Sunday morning, a Sunday evening. Monday afternoon, if anything is to go by uh, yesterday. The, the, yeah. the, the football, the GA, uh, the Gaelic football uh, people will suck it up, Tommy, though, you know, they won't be ones to make a fuss about it. Like, uh, <laughs> Come here, let me ask you one here about Limerick before we wrap up. Just obviously, Sean Finn been ruled out, I think, probably since we had you on before. And um, 
it's obviously it's a monster blow for them really they haven't convinced against Waterford uh, clearly obviously losing out to Clare is there a blueprint from what you've seen against playing against this Limerick team because like the narrative seems to have shifted on so much over the last couple of weeks from a team that we just nobody can see a chink in the armour and suddenly uh, we're saying this thing is open is it open? Uh, yeah it absolutely is it has shown the last couple of weeks that it's definitely that the gap has been shortened you know and um Sean Finn is a huge one. That's a game changer mm-hmm. for me because, like, no matter how good my case your Rich English coming in would be, Sean Finn has been just incredible for the last, um, was the three or four all stars in a row. And he was unlucky to get one last only for Mikey Egan or Mikey Phelan did such great man marking jobs on various players. But his standard, Sean Finn's standard was still, you know, a nine out of ten standard. So a huge, huge blow. Second time to do the cruise shit. Um, do you feel sorry, so sorry for him because he was heading for, you know, a status. Well, he still has an unbelievable status, but he was heading for legendary status as number two. And he will hopefully come back and, and, and be that man. But he is a glue back there. He's kind of the lad that man marks the, the main player. Like Barry Nash is given more of a free role. He goes up and down the field. Tor Sean Finn is more stay, stay around the house and mind it. And I think he's going to be a huge, huge loss. And uh, definitely... The blueprint then regards, I felt Watford, the way they challenged him, they kind of pushed up on them. So if you let the Sean Finns and Barry Nashes and these guys play around with the ball back to the back, they're like forwards and they're able to bring the ball up the whole way and score. And Clare and Watford, I thought, went up and made it 50-50. Every breaking ball was a 50-50 battle, as opposed to leaving Hannon or someone, Dermot Burns, free to, to spray around the ball. And I felt in the first few games on here, that was. Now, Joe Canning, in fairness, in the Sunday game for a while, was, was, was saying it the whole time. Why in the league are people not trying new things? Push up on them. Because everyone else was going back the other way, trying to mind the space. So them two teams have done it and, and have had huge success. And you only have to go back to the last play, the sideline cut for Limerick. Um, I was down at it in the Gaelic rounds. There was 60, 65 yards of space and there was only four players in it. Um, two Galan and Flanagan and their two clear opposing defenders there was no sweeper going back you know the last play of the game was such high risk strategy but if you think back if they had to went back would have left the Limerick lad free and he probably would have played around the ball up to Hegarty and over the bar so listen I think the first two games definitely pushing up on their backs which is incredible really like usually it's the other way around you want an extra lad the other way but push up on their backs seems to be a starting point anyway. Yeah, fascinating couple of weeks ahead in the uh, the hurling championship, especially down in Munster. Tommy, great stuff as always. Thanks a million this morning. Thanks, lads. Good luck. Bye bye. Brilliant stuff. Twenty five past eight on this Tuesday morning's O to AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. Keep your comments coming in on the YouTube or Facebook or Twitter or wherever it is you're commenting. Um, Sean is an outstanding player, as good a cornerback as I ever seen. Wouldn't cry at Limerick not winning, but feel sorry for individuals getting injured. I think that's the, the crux of it all, really, especially this time of year to see it. any player getting injured is not good. Um, yeah, the GA Go conversation, Adrian, is just, mm. yeah, as Tommy said, it's a complicated one, it's a nuanced one. And I know we had Jackson Ireland were coming out yesterday as well as the Tarnished there, talking about the the lack of access maybe for elderly people. I know people have been given out about the service itself. Sometimes the, you know, the stream itself doesn't work. Other days it does. So... There's a, a lot of issues there. I suppose if people are paying the 12 quid, you want it to be working for starters. Yeah. Um, but for elderly people, it's just one of those things that it, it complicates things for them. Yeah, the age thing, 
is certainly an interesting one and it's certainly relevant like there's a price point as well obviously that yeah. is like you know can affect uh, younger people can affect all sorts across society so it's um it's a tricky one i i just i do feel strongly about that thing that's been couched yeah, to say that's fair you know it would be grand if it's Antrim leash but you can't be putting these big games on there <laughs> that's it's just not right like it's 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 naked elitism mm. yeah Hundred percent, because you can understand why the big games are going behind the paywall. Because from GA Go's perspective, well, that's of course, and, and and like I'm not saying that blindly. I accept that obviously yeah, those bigger yeah. games uh, will attract a bigger neutral yeah. floating audience. Of course they will. Mm. Goes without saying. But like, it, I just think that we can't. If we, uh, that's my point. We either accept that it, it is there as a service, mm. and so we have to roll with that, and. Uh, we can't gripe about the bigger games been on there. That's ultimately what I'm saying. Yeah, you can't gripe about them. But if we agree that it should exist as a service, and I know that there are plenty out there who feel that it shouldn't. Michael Martin was out yesterday saying that, yeah. you know, uh, physically shouldn't. But if we agree that it should exist as a service, and that there is a <clears throat> major case for it, it's shown games that uh, haven't been shown elsewhere, and you can be critical of RT, obviously, and all of that. But if we agree it exists as a service, you have to accept that bigger games are going to be on it because the alternative is elitism. Yeah, that's no, definitely a word that, that can be fairly used, I think, in terms of uh, this whole thing. Uh, keep your comments, by the way, coming in on the, on the GA Go stuff, because it's, uh, it's clearly something that's got people talking in the back pages. We'll speak to that as well this morning at uh, 28 minutes past 8 on this Tuesday morning's OTBM. We're going to continue with GA, and delighted to say that the Sligo Senior Football Manager, Tony McEntee, joins myself and Adrian on the line this morning. Morning, Tony. How are things? Morning, Shane. How are you? All good. Thanks a million for for joining us. I know it's uh, it's been a couple of days since since the action in Castlebar. Have you have you had time to to decompress to to reflect on it? Uh, I guess relax and unwind after the the Connacht final. Okay, I have yeah, very much so. Yeah, we've um, uh, it was a five hour journey home, Shane, on on Sunday evening with traffic and then a stopover with the kids, the family and kids with me. So with him, I got home. I'd, I'd, uh, I did. I did him think about it. That'll bring you back down to earth having the, the kids in the car and, and the five hour journey <laughs> yeah well to be fair then I got home just in time for the for the Sunday game actually so uh, I was only in, in the door and the Sunday game started so uh, I'm not sure if that was positive or negative for me to be honest with you did you turn it on? <laughs> I did turn it on yeah <laughs> and the Sligo game was first up actually so I, I um, it, it, was, it was good timing yeah it was good timing does it give you? Do, do, do you watch punditry now with a, with a level of scepticism? Because I, I guess there's a there's the attitude that for people inside the camp, they're the only ones who know really what's going on. So you can sometimes hear criticism or or, or, or even plaudits that that maybe you're thinking, well, that's you know, if, if only they knew what was really going on inside the camp. So I guess from an intercounty manager's perspective, watching things like the Sunday game can be an interesting enough experience. <laughs> Um, it, it, it can be. I suppose the issue here is it, there's no issue really. The thing is that with the with the um, from a management and coaching perspective, of course, people outside the camp don't know what's going on, and that's fine. But but we're not we're not really appealing to them. Like you know, I think the Sunday game appeals. Sorry, Sunday game is not really appealing to us. The Sunday game is appealing more to the masses, to the people that are actually the fans that are watching the game or those that are interested in the game. And um, I, I think I think I think when it comes to um, uh, the lower ranked teams or the lower division teams. I'm talking about anybody beyond the top 13, I suppose, at this point mm. in time. Um, I, I'm not sure the Sunday game gives them a fair um, perspective on, on on their season and where they're going. And I suppose, I suppose, why I say that is that is that most of the pundits, and I, I've been there once myself, is that most of the pundits on the Sunday game would have 
um, uh, the quarter friend of mine, Dane, at the top table. You know, they haven't had spent time at, at the lower rank um, end of the leagues, whether it be Division Two, Division Three, or even Division Four, and, and therefore the perspective on that isn't isn't as strong, you know. And unintentionally or not, I think they come across sometimes as patronising towards those lower rank teams, you know, mm. um, as hard on them, it's a pity for them, and they shouldn't be there, and all this other stuff, you know. I'm not sure that's particularly helpful for for the wider masses, or I don't think it's particularly enlightening for the pundits themselves to do it, you know. So, um, so from that end, it's on the game for me um, um, isn't isn't as helpful for for me in relation to analysis and that. But I, I would like it to be a wee bit more. Um, inclusive uh, or have a broader perspective on, on uh, the audience that it actually appeals to. And there's always the, the phrases that come out as well that you hear punching above their weight and, and even and the, the phrase is probably used for Sligo heading into the Connacht final I'm sure they'll just be glad to be there and it can be a little bit condescending at times because you, you look at the form like since you lost the, the league opener against Leash you'd won nine games in a row which included the Division 4 final and those championship games against London and New York but like it, it, it almost feels like Asher, oh, Jesus, it, Galway are just showing up now. Of course, Galway win the game in the end, but sometimes the narrative, I feel like, in advance, can be a little bit condescending towards counties like Sligo. Um, it, it, it can be. Now I got a chance just to watch a game, uh, and um, and you both know at this stage that the perspective of teams like uh, Sligo and possibly Clare, but certainly Sligo. Uh, coming into this all learn series is that this is an opportunity for us to learn something about ourselves and learn something about um, about the team as a whole, you know, and also to learn um, about ourselves as management, as a management team, and and to bring that maybe into next year's um, Division 3 in our case and see can we develop and improve. And I, I want to say this before, is that so we won't get the chance to play um, three and four games against Division 1, Division 2 teams for many, many years, you know, but we'll have to get to Division 2 as a minimum to do that and, that, and that's quite a bit away at this stage. So this is a huge opportunity for us and one that we're not likely to get at any time soon. So um, <clears throat> we're looking at this as really a learning experience and something that we can bring something from. from. Now, I watched the game back last night and um, there's a huge amount of positives in this game for us and there's a huge amount of uh, good play that we had as well, you know. Um, and I think I think there is value in, in, in looking at these games as to where, for example... Uh, the Slego in this case uh, did well, or where um, you know we were able to curb some of the influence of Galway. Like you know, and while Galway, to be fair, played really well, and they're also a phenomenal team. You know, there were a number of the Galway players which were not as good as they might normally be, and that has to have been by uh, not by chance. You know, but there has to have been some influence mm-hmm. in Slego and that. You know, like like Como was quiet and he's fabulous. Like Shane Walsh was quiet and. Uh, Rob Finnerty was quiet, you know, from a forward unit, you know. Um, Sean Kelly had less influence than he's had in, in recent games, you know. So, uh, and maybe on another day, they would be better against us. But just on this day, they weren't, you know. And I think there's value in, in asking, why did that work out well? And was the Sligo players actually played really well, you know. Um, you know, both teams created very little, um, or shot very little wide, both Sligo and, and um, Galway. And again, that's, that's, I'm not saying that's rare, but it's certainly... Uh, good play or good practice, you know. Uh, both teams created a reasonable amount of, of scoring opportunities, so it wasn't particularly a negative game or otherwise. So I think there's value in looking at these games and saying, where are the good aspects of these games? Where can teams like Sligo learn from? What can they bring forward, you know? And it's a, it's a much more positive conversation than than maybe a patronising tone in relation to mm. why they're doing in this championship and, and so on, you know. Well, let's get into some of that then. 
Tony, what, what, when you're watching back the goals particularly, let's say, and I know you said that Comer obviously had a quite enough game, he did set up uh, the two goals and um, Tierney will play, uh, will, will tear plenty of teams asunder, I'm sure, over the course of the year as well. I just wondered from your point of view, looking at the two goals, that even though they were different, there were some similarities in that sort of ball over the top um, and, you know, um, one was obviously a slip in, in midfield. Uh, both times that sort of unmarked runner uh, comes comes in into play in the shape of tyranny in that case. What do you, are you looking at that saying? Here's what we should have done differently on that, or what's your um, learning out of it? So, so the second goal first. Um, I, I, I know I, I don't see the second goal as a, as a learning. You know, um, uh, some of the reporters were asking me after the game. You know, is it is the difference between Division Four and Division One? The amount of time you have in the ball, and I said that that may well be true in part, but that wasn't the case at uh, the weekend. And um, the case the weekend where we. Um, coughed up a lot of possession was simply by mistakes. I think the Sunday game had it that goal was scored 2-7 from mistakes or ball that they got back. So going into this game, of course, we know that if we give up possession that good teams are likely to punish you. So that's not really a learning. That's a fact that you know coming into the match. So the second goal in particular was a was a ball that came across the field, probably travelled a reasonable distance, but um, I think the Sligo player at the time was a wee bit casual coming into the ball and, and uh, the pass itself wasn't perfect. Mm. So a mix of those two things just, just meant that Comer got in, got, got his hands in the ball and then we were open at that stage for a counter-attack. And because that ball came from possession that we had won back and our full-back line had driven forward and our players had got forward to try and get into offensive positions at pace and we were out of shape at that stage and um, once we lost the ball then we were wide open for it. Um, but and the follow-on aspects of that then from a defensive end, Tierney came from behind and he, was, he wasn't he was tracked um, as a late runner coming in, you know, and he was able to get in behind and, and just do that. So so there wasn't really a learning that. That was just simply mistakes. Um, the first goal was similar in that um, the centre-back for Galway, who is uh, John Daly, had an, he, he's an excellent pass to the ball and we know he's an excellent pass to the ball. So when he's 45, 50 yards out, maybe 55 yards out in this case, um, he has a lovely left foot and he, he floated a lovely ball in. Now, I think it went further than he intended because Comer came in front. And um, when Comer and Eddie McGinnis, the fullback, uh, put on the brakes, Eddie slipped and fell. And Comer then got in behind, you know. So again, you know, that's is that a learning? I don't necessarily think so. It's a mistake. Um, it's, it's a slip. Uh, and then it's a, a pass across the face of the goal. Tierney at that stage was, was standing at the edge of the square. So, um, it was, you know, he, had, he hadn't come late. Um, his man had moved to the lane to try and stop maybe a, a goal shot from Comer. Mm. So, so I, I don't see those as learnings. Um, to be honest, I see them as just some, some mistakes that we had. Um, learnings for me were more around, you know, some parts of our attack and play. Um, can we do better at it? Um, are we cluttering our own space in front of us? Um, also, uh, some of the runs from Tierney, as an example, he came off the wing really well time and time and time again like and he was very hard to stop now he's a powerful big man um let's be fair and, and with, with good pace but when he cuts off the wing and that like he's causing huge amounts of harm every time he does it you know and that's maybe aspects of a game we need we need to look at and, and learn how we can deal with that better yeah you're talking about positives there and even as you as you mentioned keeping some of those uh galway sharpshooters reasonably quiet and even if you look at other positives tony like the first 10 minutes of the game in particular like you're running through unchallenged and that was certainly picked up at half time in the television coverage that a lot of the sligo runners uh you know through the half forward line and, and further in were, were certainly galway defenders were finding it hard to get a hand on them and there was a couple of nice scores as well from i think there was one score in particular Dara cummins i think it was with a very instinctive mm-hmm. score at one point in the game as well so there are 
there are certainly, I'm sure, things that you're going to take away from this and sit down and say, well, look, we did a lot of things right as well. Oh, the, the, the many aspects. Like, you know, the, you're talking about the runners. Like, and we have, we actually have a lot of pace in, in the team, in the Sligo team. Um, and, and it's, 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 it's pace in a positive direction, like pace going forward. Like, uh, Evan Lanes, uh, Mullins, uh, Terry, and uh, Spillane. And there's, there's more in there, just not coming to mind. But we have a lot of pace and there's a lot of good runners going forward, you know. And, um, I was delighted to see the weekend that there was many aspects of our play that, that we have, um, um, that we've developed, I suppose, or the players have developed throughout the National League and have taken it into the championship. You know, I was delighted that we didn't sit back and become just a defensive team trying to core Galway because I don't think that works anywhere against that Galway team, you know. So um, so I, I am happy that we tried to put our best foot forward and there's just parts that game we just fell short on, you know, and, and most of that is, is simply mistakes that we made, you know. But but isn't, isn't that okay? You know, this isn't... Um, you know, we spoke to players before. This isn't the case of failing, you know, and because we're now up against three more teams. Like, so we're likely to get four... Uh, four tough days out here but this isn't really a case of failing that we spoke to the players about this is more a case of that's a first attempt at getting this right we're now going to have a second attempt um, next Saturday now against Gildare and then there'll be a third attempt against Roscommon and a fourth attempt against against uh, Dublin and each of those occasions we learn a wee bit more when we move on you know and we're not looking at this as a as a, a as a terrible occasion or a terrible experience or anything like that at all because it isn't it isn't at all anything like that you know um, and I think um, I think we're all in the same boat as this you know I'm half inspired listening to you here and it also brings to mind the comments of Niall Murphy um, recently Tony he was talking about you bringing a bit of grit belief arrogance he said I don't know if you saw those quotes or were you, were you thinking Jesus you could have kept a few of those thoughts to yourself he said that you're very good speaking to the group What's, can you talk to us a little bit about how you, uh, how you people speak about that stuff all the time but practically how does that work um to be fair, you can only work with the group that you have, okay? And and, and uh, in Sligo at the minute, we have um, we have a lot of positivity coming on at this stage. Now, not just talking about young twenties here, because young twenties are a fabulous story within Sligo. Um, we've had back to back Connacht championships with two different management teams, and with a big change from last year's team as well. You know, I think there was, a, there was maybe ten or eleven of those fellas who moved on from the panel last year, so, so it's quite a change on that as well. Um, so there's a huge bunch of positivity there coming with with those on the twenties, and obviously before that, uh, one of those uh, groups was 17 years of age coming through, and we have the school situation as well with the two colleges um, doing really well. Um, then on the back of that, then we have we have a senior team now which is progressing reasonably well. To be fair, you know we've had a really good um, um, division four this year, and I think within that division four we've had. Um, I don't mean this to come across arrogant at, at this stage, though I appreciate it, it might do, is that we were comfortable in Division 4. Um, we won most of our games by four or five points, or certainly in the last couple of minutes, mm. or last 10 minutes in all them games, we were, in some games, eight and 10 points up, you know, before teams maybe got late last-minute goals. So um, that comfort throughout Division 4 has allowed us to express ourselves a wee bit more and develop our game a wee bit more when we weren't under as much pressure as maybe we have been, you know. And, and, and that has helped... That has formed, I suppose, over this past couple of years through an excellent S&C program, um, which Sean Boyle oversees. And then Joe Keane, who heads up all the, the coaching and the training. Joe, I suppose, uh, develops the coaching plan that we all put, well, I suppose the football plan that we put together and Joe develops that on the football field as a strategy, you know. Um, and then we took in then uh, quality people in Paul Dorkin and Noel Boyle, who's the last captain of Sligo to win a kind of title. 
and Colin McFadden then um, this year as the forwards coach, you know. So we have a really good team here. Like, so while, you know, I mean, there are aspects of this game where people say, oh, Tony's involved in this. I really have an excellent team here around me, you know. And it's not just an excellent team, guys. It's a team that have real experience here. Um, because McFadden, Dorkin, uh, myself all have uh, success at our uh, senior level. While it's in the past, it's still very much relevant at the minute. Uh, Noel has the success in Connacht. And Joe, as a coach, he would have been involved in the background teams in Mayo before. And he has an Alela medal himself playing with uh, Cross Milena. So, so like, I think as a management team, we are a strong management team. And from that there, we bring uh, um, that bit of confidence that Neil Murphy is talking about. Um, because we, we, we do believe that we can offer something um, as a management group. But we also believe that we can actually communicate this at least reasonably well to the players and that the players then can develop as a result of that. And I think to date, um, there is some evidence of that, you know. And I would hope that over the next three games that we will learn, as I said at the start, more about ourselves and more about the team so that, that can be brought then hopefully into um, a Division 3 next year where we want to emulate the legs of Loud making that progress, or for Mana making the great progress that for Mana has made, you know, um, or Antrim making the good progress that Antrim has made, and um, coming from four and three and so on. So, um, you know, I think, I think, I think we can do that. And you know, as as a as a management team, we have every confidence that we can do it. You know, I think it's no prob- probably no surprise to anyone that Sligo scoring average has gone up this year when you when you mentioned the likes of Colin McFadden coming in as as forwards coach, working with Niall Murphy and Carabine and Spillane, as you say. So it's that's that's clearly a a massive coup for yourselves. And as you say, it's it's a solid backroom team. The sli- the under twenties thing as well, Tony. Like what a story! It's it's unbelievable. Um, you know that two point win over Kerry last weekend at Pierce Stadium. Such an exciting game as well. This final to look forward to against Kildare. It's going to be a cracker because both teams, I think, will fancy it. Um, do, you, do you liaise closely with with Paul Henry, or how does how does that all work? Like it's, I'm sure, exciting for for you as Sligo manager to see the depth and breadth of talent coming through. So, so three years ago, the Sligo County Board, Sean Carroll in this case, came to me and said, "Listen, we want to look about um, protecting the under twenties and giving them their space." And um, so, so I, I agreed with this. I, um, I agreed with the county board's direction. It wasn't my idea; now it was the county board's idea. So I agreed with the county board that under twenty should have their own protection, and that we would not look at under twenties until such times as under twenty championship had finished. So heretofore, for the past two years, then we have not um, had any involvement of any description or any influence of any description in the under twenties and their progress towards Connacht championship. Uh, success in those two years um, and nor have we had any um, um, in, um, participation from those under 21 players in anything whatsoever to do with the seniors um, over those two years um, now while that's, while that's a loss for us obviously because we would love to see some of them on the 20s I think it is fair and proper that they get the chance um, to compete at their own level and when it's over then that we get the chance to look at them so at the end of last year once the under 20s was over last year there were um, maybe three or four of the fellas come in to the seniors just for a couple of weeks um, before the year was over and then they all joined then this year um, once the season started now I suspect that may be the same with the under 20s this year um, but to be honest um, I, I haven't gone to that space yet so mm. I don't know if we will look at the under 20s coming in or not and I don't know if they'll be interested in coming in or not my initial gut feeling is is that you know, God willing, after the all Ireland final and to win it, that they get their break and they go back to the clubs and they enjoy themselves without worrying about the stresses of uh, the county senior football. 
But um, it's a brilliant story. It's a brilliant time in Sligo. It's a brilliant occasion for, for us. Um, we take a lot from the under-20s success um, because every bit of success in Sligo is, uh, is important. As I can imagine, yeah, chance for a first All-Ireland title, you know, that, that level certainly uh, upcoming. And as you mentioned, you have the three games um, in, in the round-robin stage now. As you said, the home game against Kildare first up the weekend after next, away against Roscommon then on that weekend of, of June 3rd or 4th, and then against the, the Leinster champions, we'd, we'd imagine uh, it'll be Dublin on the weekend of June 17th or 18th. So that Tony against, say it's Dublin, it's supposed to be a neutral venue game, what do you say, and this is a conversation that's come up in the last uh, week or two, what do you say if someone turns around to you and says, oh, by the way, you're playing Dublin in the last game and, and the neutral venue is Croke Park? Yeah, but I don't, I don't think that's going to wash, guys. Um, I think the neutral venue in this case will have to be Cavan um, because if Kildare and um, Sligo can play in our Ireland final and it has to be a neutral venue up there and it's in, it's in Breffy Park, Cavan, I can't see why Dublin would, would be any different. Uh, or we're talking about Dublin, obviously, as potential winners, but um, yeah, Go Park's clearly not um, a neutral venue. Because Glenn Ryan, I, I suppose, had those comments after Kildare were beaten narrowly by, by the Dubs in the semi final of Leinster, and you can kind of see where he's coming from because it, it, it is a home venue for Dublin, no matter what way you swing it. It's in terms of even the dressing room, the home comforts, the familiarity, there's, there's really no discussion there, I guess. Yes, no, I, I agree entirely with Glenn Ryan. And, you know, in this case, all those big fields don't offer any um, challenge, any major challenge for that Dublin team. Like they're a very competent team, they're a very mobile team. You know, they're equally as good whether it be in Dublin or elsewhere. You know, so I, I don't see them, the players themselves or the management for that matter, having any concern about travelling um, to you know any of the big fields at all, Breffney Park or um, Torles or anywhere, anywhere else. Actually, might there, any game might be played. So um, I actually don't think that the players. The double players would have any issue with that whatsoever. Like you know, in fact, I'm not even sure the double management would. You know, and mm. um, so, uh, in all honesty, I, I think it's uh, Glenn Ryan's right to raise it, uh, entirely right to raise it. Um, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't raise it. Um, but for for us, any uh, you know, when playing a Crow Park against Dubs offers nothing to us. You know, and so we'll certainly be looking for it to be in a neutral venue if it is Dublin. Very final one for me, Tony. Um, like, how are you enjoying the coaching? Uh, ultimately so far because I know you quit you quit county football at 29 you quit football generally then across at, at 32 you got into the coaching you were at Stephen Rochford's backroom team in Mayo so you've got plenty of experience uh, at club level as well before that so is it something you enjoy because I know you're you're doing work am I right in saying in, in hospice or certainly work that, that, that are long hours uh, yes so, so I, I work actually as a, as a in a medical device company so I have my own company there um in medical devices so I spend a lot of hours in it um, so, so it, it is difficult to balance the two things um, at the minute most of my role in Slego has been and is now more on the management side than mm. coaching side obviously I do a small bit of that so because uh, as I said Joe Kane is Joe Kane is the main is the main coach in it but um, the hours are the hours are sizable and um, when you're involved with Slego it's like two to maybe two hours 15 from home so it is quite a challenge uh, making both ends meet but I do enjoy it um, you know I really love the people over there in Sligo I was Mayo beforehand like I love the people of the West I have to say they've been always very good to me and uh, very receptive of me and um, the people I'm involved with the county board and both Mayo before this and Sligo now are also very good to me you know and um, 
you know, men are always very kind and, and willing and to help. So uh, for now, yes, I, I very much enjoy it. You know, how long that'll last, I guess, it's hard to tell. <laughs> Who knows? I was listening to Martin O'Neill on the TV last night talking about the difference between being a manager and a coach. And um, are you happier being a, a manager or a coach? Um, I, I, I have more involved now into, into the management into the management role. Um, so right now, I'd say I'm more happier being a, being a manager than a coach. Mm. Um, they're, two, they're two massively different jobs, you know, and the focus in, in both those roles is massively different, you know. So, um, yes, for now, anyhow, um, certainly in this role in, in Sligo at the minute, um, the management role is, is much more content for me. Brilliant stuff. Well, listen, Tony, uh, really appreciate the time. No doubt we'll, we'll catch up again across the, the coming months as the, as the championship progresses. And uh, best of luck in that uh, round-robin phase. I'm sure we'll be chatting to you on the back end as well. Thanks very much. Thanks, Shane. Thanks, Evan. Great stuff. Tony McEntee there, the Sligo senior football boss at uh, 8.51am on this Tuesday morning's OTBM. Uh, brought to you with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back in the online edition available now. Cameron Hill joins us in studio now this morning as well. Morning, Cameron. How are things? Shane and Adrian. How are you doing? That's surprising your voice there. Yeah, the swap seats. It's weird. <laughs> it's weird. It feels like Friday, but it, but it's not quite because we're yeah. in different seats. Been duped. I feel like I've been duped. See what we've done there. I've been um, instructed to read out the E. Hal Martin quotes. On you go. <laughs> not not instructed. Not, not instructed. Uh, advised. Yeah. Advised. Is that too Jinx. strong? Yeah. Yeah. Um, just slight disagreement that I I was saying earlier that uh, E. Hal Martin was uh, not was whatever you want to word it not for G A goal. Mm. So Colin was just making the point that maybe that's entirely fair to the man. I still think, reading his quotes, mm. that he's not for GAA go. But I mean, I guess what Colin was saying is let the uh, listener slash viewer make up their own mind, which is maybe fair enough. So he was, uh, he said, I think so when asked if he believed that all GAA games should be available free to air. So unless in that context GAA go was to become entirely free to air, uh, built off a commercial model, whatever whatever it might be, then that wouldn't be compatible. He says, it's a personal view that I've had for a long, long time is the game of hurling that has lost the most, in my view, because hurling at its best is simply a classic. Yeah. Um, irrespective of anyone's preference or any particular code of sport, everyone loves to watch a great game of hurling. We've had two classics already. Now, this is... I mean, it's... This, is, this feels That's like... A sorry, sorry. Did he, did he I, ask ChatGPT uh, for this? Exactly. <laughs> I'll, I'll uh, let the viewer make up their own mind. We've had two classics already now in, the, uh, in, in terms of the Clare Limerick game and the Cork Tip game, and it just seems that a significant audience didn't get access to that, didn't get to see hurling at its best. Talks about a sun-drenched, beautiful new stadium, um, Porky Cueve, and then talks about certainly our senior citizens uh, need to be able to watch these games, and I think hurling will benefit, because we want to continue the brand uh, hurling as one of the great iconic identifiers of Ireland, one of the great games played at a very high quality, at a very high level of professionalism in terms of the execution of the hurling. We want more people to see it. I think it should be reviewed for the benefit of hurling itself. So, David Brent, uh, or was that? Yeah, I, I was going to also draw my conclusion to that, but I'm not going to... I no, he's right. he's right in terms of we all want to see hurling free to air as much as possible especially when it's a game like the court tip game that's fair enough but I don't think those views are compatible no. with GA Go in its current exactly yeah guys being in existence yeah 100% glad we could clarify that though and we know yeah. we now know that Porky well, Queen is sun drenched and that's sun drenched Porky Queen yeah yeah was it a it was a sun drenched Aviva Stadium for the AIL final it's between Turnier College well, and Clontarf you know it was drenched in Shane quality because it was an absolutely brilliant game I thought you were going to say Heinemite no, <laughs> no, not, not here. No, not not a pint to be had over there. No. Uh, certainly not for me. Right, right. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, 
Absolutely brilliant. Really, really great occasion. So Terranier Clontarf repeat of last year's AIL final. Um, I've got to be honest, I'm a Terranier boy. Oh. Um, living there, of course. but um, Runs through your blood. Runs through my You're blood. You're a bit of a Charlie High. Bit of a Charlie High. <laughs> You're from Sligo. No. Nope, You're from Mayo. I was wondering why you were going there. You're from... You should try it sometime. One part of Dublin, and now you're also from Tarnure. Yeah, there you go. I'm from all over the place. That's right. Charlie High. And he's, a, and he's lived in France. And I've lived in France. I'm a citizen of the world, yeah, yeah, yeah. basically. Um, but they were brilliant. The Tarnure fans were especially loud, but the Clontar fans were great too, and there was a good back and forth between the two sets, even when the game really started to run away from Clontar. Like, uh, into the second half, Tarnure just kicked on, and I mean literally kicked on. I know uh, everyone's been talking about Quaylen Dooley, um, in the aftermath of this game and I'll get on to him in a second but um, Clontarf brought on or sorry Terranier brought on great name ultimate impact sub even in name Connell Boomer and just changed oh, the game right, right? absolutely brilliant. fantastic um, and Clontarf maybe through injury I can't see it as a tactical switch they lost Angus Lloyd who was, who's been really really good for them at scrum half this year and they just lost that little bit of zip and Terranier just um capitalised on that and continued but it was a kicking masterclass from Caelan Dooley um, I saw people online saying it was the best kicking um, performance they've seen at the Aviva Live wow mm. genuinely it was, I think it's the best I've ever seen live full stop 30 points and he, he 30 points and he missed one right. did you ask ChatGPT I didn't the greatest? No, 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 the I don't think chat, I didn't see Chat GPT in the stands, so maybe they're maybe, maybe oh, they're, they're more of a URC stands. fan. They're, um, they're like it, Jesus. It, yeah, that's yeah. true. They're that's true. Maybe yeah. I don't know. Maybe we'll ask, but um, certainly I felt it was one of the best. I mean, it was ridiculous at one point because the game was starting to run away from Clontarf. Um, with around 15 minutes to go, it was clear Terranier were going to win this, but in the Terranier end of the stand, like in the Terranier end of the stadium, you could hear people going, "God, wherever the ball was at the breakdown, God, you'd love a penalty here." Just right. He couldn't get this one, could he? And there were ones from like halfway. It was real Franz Stein type stuff, where he was just banging them over from halfway, really in his stride. He's like a Limerick a, lad, isn't he? Limerick lad, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but he was like, there was nothing he could, every chance he got, he just took it. What them. age is he? I think he's around 24, 25, is he? Yeah, he could be even 23 or 4. I'll, I'll look that up here. But. but he was brilliant. He, like, there was nothing he couldn't do. He was to place kicking what Mac Hansen seems to be in facial yeah. hairstyles. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, pulls everything off the rest of his game the uh, rest of the game was really really good it, he had Cullum de Blutler outside him who was also brilliant and brilliant in his post-match comments saying that there are players here in the AIL playing week in week out who are putting in great performances and are putting the um, academy and pro players to shame when they come down to the level because mm. you look at some of the AIL and I've missed a bit of it um, admittedly this year because I've moved to Saturdays and all the fixtures are on a Saturday but there's some quality I was at the Lakelands game uh, when Terranier played Contrarf in January and that was brilliant as well and you look at some of the names like Cullum de Butler Harrison Brewer who's played for Leinster Jordan Cochran who's been around the around the provinces at this stage Cahill March um Steve Crosby on Clontarf, who's a former Connick man, Alex Soroka, the Soroka brothers. Um, great story there. But you sort of, like, obviously, as Jerry Thornley mentioned last night, the British and Irish Cup going has helped the quality of the IAL because all these players are coming down and there's less A games. You look at some of the teams and sometimes it feels like it's a bit of an island of misfit toys where 
these players are coming down, they're brilliant, but we don't get to see them all that often for their provinces. But it just hammers home how important the club game is to Irish rugby in terms of developing them and keeping them at a really, really high standard. Because it is a high standard. And as Thornley mentioned yesterday, there were lots of minis in the crowd and lots of young kids. And these are the kind of cult heroes that are going to cultivate a kind of interest in Irish rugby going forward at a local level. I sometimes think that's a bit forgotten with the emphasis on the schools game. The club game is where you can foster that community and the critique I always hear um, from people who aren't into rugby, apart from, well, I just don't like rugby, is I don't really, I, I, can't, I can't relate to some of the guys in the Irish rugby team because they come from a very small section of schools rugby or their foreign exports, which foreign imports, I should say, which is fine. But that ability to relate to the team is really important too, especially in a year where we could really, really put on a performance and potentially win the World Cup. You think this is the time now for everyone to get behind it. And it does feel like there's a little bit of disengagement. And I think it's because we're missing an opportunity with the club game in terms of fostering that local community and fan-based culture. No, I think it's a fair point, fair point. And certainly judging from my uh, social media channels at the weekend, like to see the atmosphere, because you, you think 8,600 8, people in the Aviva, ah, that can't be that great an atmosphere, but it looked, looked oh, it was cracking. Brilliant. Great colour. Flares and everything. Lots and lots of flares. You love to see it. You love to see it. Uh, brilliant <laughs> stuff. Cameron, great to bring a, a bit of a highlight to that as well. Well done to Terranier College and everyone involved for a cracking win over Clontarf, as we said. 8.59am on this Tuesday morning's OTBM now. Delighted to welcome to the show the football analyst, Jasmine Baba. Morning, Jasmine. How are things? <laughs> All good here. How about yourselves? All good. Thank you very much for joining us, as per usual. We uh, we uh, we spoke a little bit about Jude Bellingham on the show last week uh, between ourselves, and we decided we wanted to to dive a little deep uh, into the into the man himself. I, I guess first of all, what, what what's the the talk that you're hearing at the moment over in Germany? Because um, you know he's still involved. He scored a couple of goals for Dortmund over Wolfsburg at the weekend, six 0 win, still firmly in the uh, the Bundesliga title race. So that moved them to within a point of Bayern Munich uh, at the top of the table, but. Are you here in Real Madrid? Are you here in Man City? It seems to be the Bernabeu that, that, that all the talk is for at the moment for Bellingham's future. Yeah, and the last few weeks especially has been fully Real Madrid. Um, it started off with Manchester City, the rumours, but that's sort of died down now. And the last few weeks just been solely Manchester City. All media outlets expect Jude Bellingham to leave this summer. I think that's a given. Um, news this morning is that he's rejected another contract offer from Dortmund, an improved contract, and it would be a record for Dortmund offering such a thing. So I think it would have taken him to 2026 and something around a 14 million sum on top. So morning reports are that he's rejected that. Um, all the reporting comes from mainly Mars's side, which kind of match up. I'm not sure if the information's the same on uh, German outlets or if it's their own knowledge. But yes, the last few weeks has been fully Real Madrid. All right, so that sounds like he's certainly edging towards a move, and uh, Spain seems to be the, the likely destination. A lot of Irish um, football fans would have seen plenty of Jude Bellingham in terms of. Uh, England international level at the World Cup and what and what have you might have seen too much of him at Birmingham City before he left. Uh, he was so young uh, when he, when he was leaving. But what type of midfielder would you describe Jude Bellingham as, Jasmine? 
So many people have him down as a box-to-box midfielder, but I don't think that strictly covers what he's good at or specifically good at because he's good at many things um, and doesn't strictly cover what he does. Box-to-box, it normally focuses on both parts of the game, both in possession and out possession. And while Jude Bellingham's a good all-rounder in both phases of the game, he is definitely more suited to the attacking um, attributes. So if anyone saw any highlights from the weekend, his two goals is specifically kind of highlighted what he's really, really good at doing, what he seems to excel at and why everyone's excited about this 19-year-old. Because as you said, he was very young at Birmingham City. He is still 19. (laughs) And it's um, quite crazy how mature he can play. Um, so the attributes is even though he gets played as a more six role, like a pivot, which just stays in front of the back four in the back, the, sorry, the formation four, two, three, one that Dortmund uses. So there's two pivots and they push him slightly further up rather than the one that guards the defense. And that suits him a lot more. So it's more of a, um, eight role. So further attacking mid midfielder and um i don't think he can be a single defensive midfielder just because of the qualities i've just mentioned he is better in attack and so we kind of quote him more especially in scouting we give him a profile of a central creator someone who roams in the more more attacking spaces and can help lay off balls for his teammates and he's both um his attributes can also tend to um, help him in like the attacking phases of the game for both himself and his teammates. So he is good at receiving the ball in between the opponent's lines and in their formation. He can dribble, he can um, pass, and he knows how to progress the ball and create passing solutions for his teammates. And he's one of the best in the league in his position in doing this. And what's really, really great and what's really something we don't see, especially in under-23 levels, is someone who's both good technically, efficiently, but also suits the more direct phases of play. So if he needs to lay off a quick pass, find that quick space... He can do that and he can use flair or he can keep it simple. And the fact is, a lot like Musiala in the same league, even though they play different roles, they are so mature in finding these solutions and kind of knowing how the game is run. It's why they are so sought after and so um, have been given these accolades. They run around teams and for Jude Bellingham, he's the second highest scorer in that Dortmund team. He has seven goals um, and four assists. No one in that team has eight, more than eight goals at the moment. So that is why he is so sought after to show, show that kind of maturity in the way that he plays and how good he is in those attacking spaces as an eight or as a 10. So some, even further in, in attacking midfield. Um, and that is why he is just really one of a kind at the moment. And yeah, that's why he's got such a huge price tag on him for a 19 year old. 
Yeah, definitely some traits in that position that Madrid, I'm sure, would go for as well. There's like a temptation here, Jasmine, to make the Sancho comparisons. Like they're different players, clearly a different age profile. But uh, obviously, he did leave the club with uh, major expectations that hasn't worked out at United. Um, what is your sense then of how prepared uh, Jude Bellingham is to make what would be a significant step up to the likes of uh, Madrid? I think Real Madrid are a little bit more clever in terms of knowing how they play and how kind of persistent they can be and what they, they're they good at. Whereas Manchester United for Jadon Sancho has been in a little bit of a transition period. Only really Eric Ten Hag has really laid down some groundwork for someone like Jadon Sancho to really improve. And I think someone like Real Madrid or Man City, because I can't rule Man City out, of mm. course, um, they both have that groundwork, that foundation to for someone like Bellingham to come in and for them to fit straight away or to improve straight away. And they know what kind of football that they're playing, uh, especially both of them, basically, a, a lot more than Manchester United had been. So um, I think that is a definite uh, advantage for Jude, Jude Bellingham and the way he can make that step up. Um, there had been some reports as well um, that Jude Bellingham wouldn't want to go back to England, or at least not yet. So I wonder if there is something like that kind of unease and um, transition zones at some clubs that he wouldn't want to go in at the moment and would rather a move to Spain where he can really develop, especially more of the technical skill that he doesn't lack. Because if I say the word lack, it sounds like he's not good at, but his more direct skills is better than his technical skills at the moment. And I think in Spain, he is ready to take on that role of learning technicality and um, using that to his advantage. So I think he... First of all, as a player, is in a better um, a better space to m- make that big sp- uh, big jump. But also, the clubs that are apparently interested in him have um, a better foundation for him to actually grow. Yeah, I know there was a lot of reading the Athletic during the week. There was a lot of chat that from the Manchester side that a lot of the links with Madrid had come up at a very timely fashion from the Spanish <laughs> press, and that this is not something that's uh, that's unique. So, but I mean, I think uh, you at the very top said that he had turned down another contract offer from Dortmund. So, and and there are very few clubs in the world that could afford him. Uh, so that would seem to be likely one of those, one or the other of those. Can I just ask you one last one on Sancho, Jasmine? I don't know if you had any information about it, but I had seen that there had been links because it hasn't been working out from United, that potentially um, he could go back to Dortmund. Is there any... Um, have you heard anything about that? I have not heard anything about that, but the Jude Bellingham news this morning was very, very fresh. So um, it could be a possibility that I've just not seen it. But um, I've not seen anything to say see that at the moment. Doesn't mean it's not true, but um, yeah, not seen that. Jasmine, I'm curious, how, how would... Let's just hypothetically say Real Madrid is the club that he that he signs for, and that appears to be the favourite at the moment. How how does Drew Bellingham fit into that Real Madrid midfield in particular? Because you look at the the talented young players that Carlo Ancelotti has built: he's Vinicius, Rodrigo, Camavinga, Chuamani, Valverde. Um, like I, I, I'd imagine, like you say, he can play in the number six. I don't think Bellingham is going to be seen at Madrid as a as a Casemiro 
long-term replacement necessarily, but how do you think he fits in there? Because the talk is that Modric is about to sign a new contract potentially as well. You have Tony Kroos as well there. So he has options, Ancelotti, but, but how do you see him fitting into that midfield? I'm not quite sure. And that that's only the kind of problem that I've seen, like where positionally he would fit. Mm. Um, as you said, he's not that kind of six as a single pivot, single central um, defensive midfielder. He does not have the same kind of uh, tackling rates, even though he's good at ground jewels and interceptions. He's not that kind of player. And I think you would really waste his attacking talent if you tried to keep him back. Um, so maybe more of an, a re- more of a replacement as of Modric, someone who comes in a little bit more, he will have to be patient if Cruz and um, Modric is still there and still the better players. But look at their older ages, look at the, the ages that they're pushing. Still world-class mm-hmm. players, obviously, but you do need to focus on that kind of 18 up to 26 um, roles. So um, I he is a lot better at um, bringing a direct and vertical element to Real Madrid's game. And um, his qualities in accelerating attacks are amazing. And not only Real Madrid, I think Man City would also benefit from that. So, um, and he's also really experienced while being very young. So there's absolutely so much years he can bring to someone like Real Madrid in that kind of attacking midfield role that he could probably become a legend there if he stays long enough. So, um, yeah, someone maybe to come in for Modric, more of an 8-10 role and um, someone who brings in fast and vertical attacks for Real Madrid. Yeah, as you say, he certainly could become a legend there because he's... He's away from, look, there's pressure being a Galactico as well, but he's away from the, the pressure of the English media, as you say, and maybe that's playing in his mind as to why he doesn't want to go back to England just yet or to Manchester City. Like, you can imagine Chiuamani in that number six role and, and the little bit of freedom that may, might give Bellingham ahead of him. Maybe Bellingham and Modric are both in the same team together. It's hard to know, but certainly he seems to be such a dynamic uh, player, Drew Bellingham. And as you say, he's got the flair, but he can also play it simple. So he's one of those players that, that a manager like Carlo Ancelotti can turn to in a number of different roles and in a number of different games. Yeah, and to be honest, that's how he has been used across uh, around the last two seasons at Dortmund. Under Marco Rosa, he played all sorts of roles and that actually caused some tension between Gareth Southgate and Jude Bellingham um, because Gareth Southgate was saying, we don't know what his position really is. Um, even though I think that was a bit harsh because as a young player, especially under 21, you just want those players to play and get game experience. Um, but yeah, as a 10, as an 8, I think he favours more and I think it suits his attributes more. Um, he's also really good at things like, <laughs> especially from the weekend, his first goal was... Uh, Quite bizarre, but it showed off his talent in his kind of mid to long, long range shooting as well as his second goal, which shows him how clever he is at working the space and getting into the space and arriving into the box. So, yeah, I think even though he's been played as a six, he's been played as an eight and a ten, he suits those um, latter more attacking roles. Yeah, 
brilliant footballer that we'll uh, certainly keep a close eye on in the in the intervening and following years. Uh, Jasmine, brilliant stuff as always. Thanks a million for your insight. Thank you. Lovely stuff, football analyst Jasmine Baba there joining us on this Tuesday morning's OGBM. It's 13 minutes past nine. Uh, plenty of comments still coming in, loads of them. You'd, you'd almost forget because of the excitement of the Premier League last night that there's the small matter of Real Madrid-Man City tonight at the Bernabeu. Like it just sneaks under the radar when there's football every single day. Yeah, can't wait for it. Class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, like, what's Pep going to do? Mm. You know, no matter what. It's such an awful position to be in because, like, these games just come around. This is, this is the, one of the most defining days of Pep Guardiola's career. Like, yeah, 100%. It follows him around like a stink. Yeah. And if Ancelotti was to do an over on him. Because if, yeah. if you were to lose 2 or 3 nil tonight at the Bernabeu, I'm not saying City are going to lose 2 or 3 nil. but if you were, all of a sudden, like, the, the Champions League dream is essentially over once yeah. again. Uh, look at it true it's true uh, and I'm sure that it's un- an unlikely outcome I yeah. would suggest but like even even at that like City are the sort of team that like no more than we were discussing earlier on if they have a target and you know if you were back at a team even against a Madrid to score three or four goals mm. you probably would be putting City in wouldn't you um, yeah but yeah fascinating we'll see well they won the Capital Ray wasn't it during the week Real Madrid so they're they're coming in off a bit of a high lovely scenes of uh, Carlo Ancelotti singing with the Real Madrid fans on the pitch. They beat Osasuna two one in that game. Yeah, they, like they hadn't been going massively well before that. Uh, on the at the start of May, there a week ago they lost two 0 away to Real Sociedad, albeit Real at ten men. Before that, beat Maria four two, but lost four two to Girona uh, on the twenty fifth of April as well. So like, yeah, you almost feel like are they just uh, yeah they're going for the Champions League. At this yeah, point. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think with a team of that um, of that quality. Um, look, I don't know. Like maybe City go there and do a bit of a number on them, and like you know, just uh, given the two teams that are involved, the two managers that are involved, any outcome is possible yeah. in both games. Yeah, how do you like? I just intrigued to see how City. Well, the Haaland and Benzema conversation will happen on both sides, but Benzema in particular at the at the Bernabeu. Yeah, like fascinated to see how City cope with him. Yeah, um, that many teams have been able to cope with him in Europe yeah, this season. He's just terrifying. As is the other lad, of course. Yeah, ah, yeah, Haaland's a decent footballer too, isn't he? <laughs> He's all right. Like, um, yeah. Keep your comments coming in. There's loads coming in, especially on the the AIL game there. Um, uh, the hurlers, the GA go conversation seems to be still going on as well. Um, Tony McIntyre's an impressive individual, mm. I have to say as well. If anyone missed that conversation this morning, you'll get it back on the, the podcast uh, on the app and elsewhere. Uh, he's just when, when he took that Sligo job. I remember he was linked with the Monaghan job, I think, before Monaghan yeah, found the replacement. Yeah. I was really, I was like, well, this this could be great. Yeah. Fortunately, he went well, to Sligo. Stock is high now. It was interesting there that, that I'm you know more into being a manager now than a coach. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Normally, you hear like Ronald Gareth on with us pretty regularly. Yeah, I think he's made it pretty clear he enjoys the coaching side more <laughs> than the other side. I think most uh, people at that level, the coaching thing. Mm. They have to do the manager bit because they have to tick the box, or whatever. But the coaching thing is the one that sort of frees up a bit most. of time for him. Like, and then, like, I think also he was sort of leaving the door open a little bit because, like, who knows what happens with Sligo? He's obviously filled that role before with Mayo mm. in terms of the coaching bit. It's possible that he would end up going back into that because it was certainly from the outside looking in a big thing that was spoken about in relation to Tony McIntyre his coaching ability. Mm-hmm. So um, probably a big reason why he got the gig in Sligo. And then yeah. it's like you know, but I suppose when you're bringing in players around you, former players around you who can marshal the troops, um, you know, like 
those quotes about him bringing a bit of arrogance into the dressing room mm-hmm. like that might be as important as anything that's a cross midland thing I think it was, it was fascinating to see the Division 4 final as well and himself up against Oshie McConville's Wicklow two former club team it's just mm. great to see that, that both of them flying it in the managerial game but uh, you'll be watching Tony McEntee's management career over the next year or two with, uh, with keen interest and of course Sligo as we said have that game against Kildare upcoming at home the weekend after this uh, 17 minutes past 9 on the Tuesday morning on OTB AM uh, here are some highlights coming up in the OTB podcast network for you today we've got the latest Koi Gig episode we have got the news round and Pat Nevin of course as well a load of fascinating uh, stuff from Pat Nevin on last night's show you can follow OTB across social and subscribe to the OTB podcast network after these very short ads we're talking Celtic with Tom English you're listening to OTB AM 18 minutes past 8 on this Tuesday morning's OTBM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night edition available now. Celtic clinched their second successive Scottish Premiership title under Ange Postacoglu at the weekend. Kyogo Furuhashi's 30th goal of the season, helping them overcome 10-man hearts at Tynecastle. An 11th title in 12 years. And with us to, to digest the weekend and uh, how things are going for Celtic clearly well under Ange Postacoglu is Tom English of BBC Sport. Morning, Tom. How are things? Good morning, very well, very well indeed. Thanks for joining us, thanks for joining us. Um, so it's perhaps no surprise that Celtic have clinched the Scottish Premiership title given their total dominance so far this season. Um, and an impressive way to clinch it out and probably makes sense that Kyogo Furuhashi was the man who got in the score sheet again. He's been brilliant. He has, yeah. Um, you know, uh, Postacoglu has made many, very, many very impressive signings. Kyogo is probably the pick of them. Uh, goals machine would have scored a lot more goals last season, but he missed a good chunk of the league season through injury. Uh, he's just a kind of blur of movement, really, and he scores all sorts of goals. He could he could score crackers from outside the box, and he can score the type of goal that scrappy old goal that he got against uh, against Hearts at the weekend. He's been terrific, you know, for for the current generation, the younger generation of of Celtic fans, the kids and young teenagers, he is the guy that excites them just like Henrik Larsson was for the previous generation or a Jimmy Johnston, this gener- generation past. I'm not saying he's Jimmy Johnston, nobody is. <laughs> but for kids, this is the guy that does it for them. He's such an exciting player. Like that's a, So it's a 53rd league crown overall for Celtic. They've still got the motivation to continue with, this, with the season. Of course, a fifth treble in seven seasons is the carrot on the end of the stick when they play in Vaness, Caledonian Thistle. Uh, that's the Scottish Cup final on, on June 3rd so they will have the motivation to continue ironic Tom um, Tynecastle was where Postacoglu's league tenure began with a, with a defeat 2-1 defeat a couple of years ago um, it's quite hard to fathom how far he has taken this side since then because of course when he when he first took the job it was um, well, a surprise to say the least and an, and an unknown entity yeah I mean like you know people look at it in, in the Scottish league and they go oh, it's a two horse race uh, you only have to beat Rangers. That's that's true. Uh, we've got all the financial advantages over ten of the other eleven clubs in the in the league. That's true. But the context is everything here. Um, Postecoglou took over a club that was in turmoil. They just lost the league by twenty five points to Rangers. Um, they'd sacked Neil Lennon, Peter Lawwell, the chief executive who was there for twenty years, uh, left. Uh, the supporter unrest was off the scale, protesting really, really bitter protests outside Celtic Park nearly every weekend. Um, they had this pursuit, months-long pursuit of Eddie Howe, who was their first choice. They thought they were going to get him. And then he and then he said no. 
I, like I couldn't explain how angry the supporters were. Banners outside the ground, uh, sacked the board. One of them infamously said, shoot the board. So he's come into this maelstrom and the whole team needed to be rebuilt. You know, they had a lot of loan players, a lot of players who weren't putting it in anymore, who wanted to leave. Odson Edward and these, these types of guys. He had, the, he had a massive, massive job on his hands on the pitch and off the pitch. They replaced Law, Lowell with Dominic Bakai as chief executive. He lasted two months and he left. So it was, it was chaotic. He comes in, he starts making all these signings. One after another hits, hits the bullseye. And before we know it, they're playing this really good brand of football. They're winning, winning, winning. They win the league. They win the, they win the League Cup last season. They're going to win, unless Inverness can cause the upset to beat all upsets, they're going to win a treble this season. And it all makes sense. And his backstory is make it, makes it even more special. Because this is a guy, a kid who came from, from Athens to Melbourne when he was five with his family because of the military junta in Greece. His father lost his business. They arrived in, uh, in Melbourne with two suitcases. They didn't speak the language. They didn't have anywhere to stay. And from there, he's built. And he always, what he had with him was a love of football. So his own story, the immigrant story, there's a great symmetry with the history of Celtics. That's why, for that, for, for reasons of trophies, but also his backstory, that's why everybody at Celtic worships the, worships the man. It's his, it's his tactics as well as his style of play, but also his transfers, um, Tom, because everyone has spoken about his knowledge of the Japanese market and how Celtic have clearly benefited from that. But when, when he originally came in, I mean, when you look at it now, they have no director of football. He has mm. complete control, not quite to the level maybe of Alex Ferguson at the peak at Manchester United, but not far off. Like He, he literally has the trust and faith of the board and everyone involved in the club. And maybe he's earned that respect because of his dealings in the transfer market. Completely. Like he, he has, excuse me, he spent a lot of money, but the net spend is, is very, very small. Um, because the Celtic are a very well run club. So they sold Odson Edward for a lot of money. They sold Christopher Iyer for a lot of money. They sold one or two others for decent money. And for that money, plus another maybe eight or nine, 10 million, they've built this this brand new uh, squad. Um, 90% of his targets have come straight into the team, not just the squad, not squad fillers, uh, serious, serious players at the heart of what he's doing now. Um, the team that clinched the championship on Sunday, uh, 16 players got game time, 13 of them were signed by him, and it would have been 14 if Alistair Johnson, the Canadian right back, was fit. So that gives you an idea of how he's rebuilt. Um, a lot of Japanese players have come in, um, and they've, you know, they've, they've, it's a bit of a cliche. They play the Celtic way. Mm. The Celtic way is kind of winning, right? First of all, but winning with a bit of class, with a bit of style. And Farashi can do that. Hatate can do that. Maeda. And then he brings in Jota, he brings in Abada, a very young player. They're all contributing, Matt O'Reilly. And he's getting them for relatively small money. So he's finding these gems um, that are going straight into the team. I mean, the Japanese lads, they they hit the ground running in, like immediately. There was no settling in period. And these are these are guys who've come in, they don't know this, they don't know the city, they don't know the country, they don't know the league, they don't know the club, they don't know the language. 
and yet a bit like Pastikagil himself, they they immediately have an impact. So it's uh, it's very impressive, and you got to look at it in context as well. You know, like Brendan Rodgers. You look back to Brendan Rodgers and his invincible season of 2016, 2017, and everyone thought, myself included, that we'll never we'll never see kind of a points to league points total or a goals total like that again. Um, Austin Congress team could surpass both this season mm. if they keep winning for the last four games. Uh, Rogers got 106 points and 106 goals. Uh, it's within Pasta Cogli seemed to, to, to beat that, which is incredible, really. Uh, Pat Nevin was on the show last night, Tom, and he was talking about there being uh, one or two nibbles, was how he phrased it, at uh, Ange in the market. And I can't help but feel, listening to everything you've said, you used the word worship from the fans earlier on, the stability of the club, the Fergie-like grip that he has in the club. These are attractive things to... Um, Premier League owners, um, and I'm sure there's plenty of them looking at him. And look, at I, I also get there's a tension there between, uh, it's not to raise the question of whether Celtic or Leicester or whoever you want to pick are a bigger club, but the uh, the Nibbles will be there. The, he's an attractive prospect right now. Yeah, like, the, I mean, the, the, you know, these clubs aren't, I mean, he's been linked, I think, with about eight or nine Premier League clubs. Now linked, as in, is this a lot of tabloid nonsense or is there actual genuine interest? Who knows? Mm. But they'll know who he is, for sure. Um, and, like, you look at, I mean, like, Celtic fans, that they are talking about this. Of course they are. Um, they are almost resigned to the fact that he will leave probably soon if they got another season out of him. They'd probably be happy enough with that. They'd want more, but they live in the real world. I think if he goes on and Celtic will go straight into the Champions League group stage now, uh, if he does something in that, Will he be there next, the season after next? You probably think unlikely, but he has always made a point, you know, because he's, he achieved success in Australia. He achieved success in, um, with the national team in Australia in the World Cup, got into the World Cup, um, moved on Brisbane Roar. He won the league there. Yokohama Marinus, he won the league there. He's doing great things at Celtic, but. Celtic were the one in, in this side of the world that took a chance on him. I don't know if he was in for jobs in England before and, and he got turned down or ignored, but he feels a huge sense of appreciation to Celtic. And he's never really engaged with the chat because everyone's asking him, oh, you know, what about all these interest, all this supposed interest from England? He's never really engaged with that. He's a very shrewd, very smart, very respectful guy, actually. And it goes back to his background, and he really does appreciate this opportunity that he was given. This seems like a ridiculous thing to ask, given, as you said, the fact that he can surpass that points total and, and goals total of the Brendan Rodgers Invincibles team. But if you were to, to put a hat on as a Ange detractor and come up with reasons why maybe clubs wouldn't look towards him, I, I've heard the argument mentioned that maybe his bringing young players through that brilliant Celtic academy maybe hasn't happened as, as much as some Celtic fans would like to see. Um, his European record probably leaves a bit to be desired as well, you'd imagine. Over the last couple of years, that's been one issue that Celtic fans have been hoping to, to address. Are those things that are a concern at all in terms of Ange's managerial tenure? Well, I mean, the young players, uh, yeah, true. Not many, very few young players have got a look in at Celtic. I understand why they, they, they have to win every week. They yeah. have to. And I still think that they can do that by bleeding in a couple of, a couple of young people. He hasn't, he hasn't done it. 
he hasn't done it maybe a because maybe they're not there or b uh maybe you know maybe he just didn't think they're up to it i don't know uh, but it hasn't happened let's see next season if it does happen a little bit more european uh it was his first crack at it uh he was in a tough group with real madrid i thought even though they didn't get many points i think they played a lot of good football they created a huge amount of chances even against real madrid home and away they created so so i, I wouldn't hold that against him um, people were saying, oh, you need to be more pragmatic. You know, you're going up against Real Madrid. You need to be more defensive, you know. And he said, no, well, you know, if we're more defensive, we learn nothing. You know, we don't learn anything. So he kept true to his own beliefs, attacking football. Um, and I think they probably did learn stuff. But the, the truth of that will be next season in the Champions League. I think there will be pressure on him to deliver points next season for sure. Uh, if he does that, then I'm not sure he'll be at Celtic for, for much longer. I, he is a no, like, I always got the sense with Brendan Rodgers that he was fluttering his eyelashes at clubs down south. I always got that impression with him. Mm. I have not got a, that impression with Ange Postacoglu at all. I'm not saying he won't go. I think he, if he keeps going the way he is, I think he will go. He will have no choice but to go because he'll get a, a juicy offer. Um, in a bigger market, maybe not a bigger club, because there's not that many in Britain bigger than Celtic. But these clubs, the Leicesters and all these clubs, they're in a bigger market. Um, so I suspect he will probably go at some point if he continues his rate of a rate of progress. But um, I don't get a sense that he's that he's that he's in a rush. And and yeah, as you say, that that style of play, that high octane style of football. Mm. When you look at teams like Porto and Bruges this year making the last sixteen of the Champions League, there's no reason why Celtic can't be among those teams to progress and do that as well. Like when you look at the um, the Scottish Premiership table, though, uh, Tom, and I have it open in front of me, so a comfortable win for Celtic. Rangers a distant second, so thirty four games played at the moment. But even if you look at the gap between Rangers and, and Aberdeen in third, like Rangers are twenty nine points clear of Aberdeen in third they're 49 goals better off yeah. than Aberdeen so is that is that complete disparity and, and lack of competition in the Scottish Premiership a problem even from a I guess from a commercial perspective and and getting people interested and involved and eyeballs watching the Scottish Premiership is it seen as an issue? Uh, no well look I mean of course it's an issue there's only two teams every every season could potentially win the league uh, that's been a problem for 30 years Um the attendances at, at, at matches in Scotland are terrific. Per capita, it's one of the most watched leagues uh, in European football in terms of in terms of people coming through the gate. So there's there's not a massive issue there. Um, it's just a lack of competition, you know. And Aberdeen, a lot of, there's a lot of good clubs. Aberdeen, Hearts, Hibs, they're, they're 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 all doing a lot of good things. But the, the financial gulf is just it's just impossible to breach that. And Aberdeen have rallied. They've had a they've had a good they've had a good last few months, um, and they are they are a good side. Uh, but it, it's impossible. I mean, you can't. You know, it's like expecting Nottingham Forest to be going toe to toe at Man City. You know, mm. you, it's just financially it can't be done. What there's an interesting thing about Rangers, and they've been in they've kind of been in uh, in turmoil for for much of the season. Um, they're currently on 89 points. Uh, 89 points would have won the league in two of, 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 of Brendan Rodgers' three seasons at Celtic. Now, I know for the third season, he was only there for maybe three quarters of it, and then he left to Leicester. But 89 points, you know, 
that would have won two of those leagues. So Rangers have done okay uh, by that standard. It's just that Celtic have been kind of unforgiving in terms of the way they, they go about winning matches. They, there's, they've shown very, very little weakness domestically. Yeah, ruthless, ruthless. And uh, look, we'll keep an eye on the, the remainder of the season. As we said, that Scottish Cup final upcoming and, and Celtic face Rangers in the old, uh, final old firm derby of the season at Ibrox at half past 12. Nice place to be going after uh, <laughs> in the bag. It's like they could not... I don't know what they would like to hang on a couple of days and get it done up there, but I mean... It's well, did they do sweet. the clap onto the pitch? Oh, I'm sure Does that happen sure at, at Ibrox? Imagine. Surely not, Tom. Uh, if, if, if Rangers applaud Celtic onto the pitch, I'm going to look up and I'm going to see... Pigs flying. <laughs> uh, it won't be happening. They'll be they'll they'll be doing something. Uh, Celtic are walking out of the pitch. I can but imagine. Won't be <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't think pigs are going to fly at Ibrox this Saturday for sure. Uh, Tom, brilliant stuff as always. Thanks a million for hopping on. Cheers, lads. Thanks. Brilliant. Tom English there of BBC Sport reflecting on Celtic's Scottish Premiership win and their utter dominance in Scottish club football. As things stand, it's... Um, oh, if we'd had him for another 30 seconds. Murray Kinsella has just tweeted that Gregor oh. Townsend has uh, extended his contract with Scotland up until April ah. 26. So it's probably not a great surprise. I've made some strides under him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Going in the right direction. Yeah, nice yeah. to get that done for him, I'm sure, before Ireland tanked him at the, uh, at the World Cup, Shane. So. Again, touch wood. <laughs> That's the hope. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, Jesus. And well, Townsend's done a fantastic job. We've we've uh, loaded comments coming in on the, on the rugby from earlier as well as plenty of other topics. Aaron Kenny, this is actually an email. Believe it or not, someone has emailed uh, sportedofftheball.com. Don Logue is right. I live in Monaghan. Fair play to you. And a lot of people I talk to, hurling involvement or not in Monaghan, love a good hurling game. It's in places like Monaghan that not uh, not having hurling and RTE or virgin effects. Kids won't play if they can't see it. Kids won't see it if it's not on TV in places like Monaghan. That is growing the game. Uh, I'm not 100% sure that Cork against Tip in the championship grows the game of hurling in Monaghan. I don't think so. I've, I There's a lot of interest no, in Hurling. No, in, in those no, I, I'd be fairly convinced that it doesn't. I'd be fairly convinced that like there are way more tangible grassroots structural conversations that would need to be in place. For for I think there's far it's a far wider. I think you need to be seeing the match. I think that there's a fair point there. You need to be seeing the matches on TV. You might see Monaghan as a Gaelic football county, but if Cork and Tip are playing in a hurling match, I don't a lot of people are watching it. The, in Monaghan. the, the inference is that you end up with a, with a few hundred kids going. Oh, I need to get a hurl, Mom, come on, bring me down to the shop. I don't think that I I that, I don't believe that. Well, it's hard to quantify it. I, I don't believe that that grows the game. I think what grows the game is having vibrant clubs who are promoting hurling in schools and promoting hurling amongst an underage cohort I don't I, honestly but it's, it's Cork against Tip in a one-off game chicken and egg stuff isn't it like you, you can't have the, the, the schools encouraging young people to play hurling if young people can't watch hurling can. and, and get you role can. models 100% you you can. a young mo- player in Monaghan or, or another or West Meath watching TJ Reid on TV or, or watching I don't, Hannan I, on TV I'm not saying that that harms it in any way I'm certainly not saying that but what I am saying specifically is if you have somebody in a school who's passionate about hurling mm. if you have a games development officer in the local club in wherever that guy is from in Monaghan yeah. who's promoting hurling who's down there night noon and morning who's showing the passion who's putting on exciting drills and like creating fostering a love of the yeah. game that's the important thing I think that far too often we talk about the growing the game thing for me is I, I'm not having it not having it I, I, well, the, the, other, the other thing about watching the games is 
more of a I think that's fair enough yeah you know, ideally there'll be a mix of, of all of the above sometimes people just want to sit down and watch a game like you don't have to have be thinking about it four weeks later yeah you just want to sit down and watch I'd like to have seen that game a lot of people who like sport will sit down and watch anything regardless yeah. Teddy Winks yeah. um, Michael says Diego is a big improvement in the partnership with Sky in my opinion I thought the actual market for this service is the Irish diaspora and it's been a great help for this well, I, I guess a lot of people abroad Irish people abroad are getting to watch yeah. more games than they were and they're quite happy to pay the 12 quid for for Gaelic games what is it possibly. That we're breaking it down was it 150 or 2 euro a game if you buy the um, full package full package 70 odd, 75 quid or something, something like that yeah. for, the, for the season Um Connor Joyce says people already pay 165 euro a year for RTE. Well, if you pay your TV license fee, you certainly oh, do. Jesus, what's that? What do you say? <laughs> well, like most people do, like everyone does, <laughs> oh, of course. Um, oh. if, not talking about wow. myself. Here. I'm not talking wow. about myself here. I'm saying people generally out in the ether. There he was last Friday night and joined the spo- spoils, <laughs> like drinking his 165 euro in the green room afterwards. <laughs> I mean people out in the ether. Oh, and and, and no you should pay your TV license. Now. Of course, pay your TV license, folks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, certainly not trying to throw myself under the bus. The there. wine and cheese was had. That's, <laughs> that's, you, know. Well, you, you know all about it, for sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And another one, if yeah, you went to your Specsavers, yeah, yeah. what was that? <laughs> <laughs> maybe you should go to Specsavers, because you can't, you said they can't the other day, you'd know all about that. I can't remember the following from, from Charlie Nicholas, it wasn't a bad one. <laughs> we got there, we got there, folks, 9.39am, this Tuesday morning's O2BM with Gillette Labs, get the ultimate shave, all your money back, pay your TV license. Uh, Neon Night Edition, available now on tomorrow's show, Jeremy Stelfer back, we'll have James Tracy talking rugby, uh, Leinster specifically, Kieran Donaghy, Mayo Women's Gaelic Football Manager, Michael Moore. Oils, of course, <clears throat> they won the uh, Connacht Championship at the weekend, just gone. Vinnie Perth will join us for his usual slot. Uh, plenty more besides as well. Right now, Malachi Clerken joining uh, Joe. This was highlights from last night's show. Have a terrific Tuesday. OCB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now.